0: hello everyone my name is joe
1: and i'm johnny dupe
0: welcome to the tester episode of movie change up where we repitch and reboot the movies we love and love to hate but with a little added twist now how this works a few days ago johnny and i came up with a list of 10 movies and 10 rules you can use one rule per movie and you can't use a rule more than once johnny what are those movies we came up with
1: all right, so we picked uh, some movies we love, and uh, like you said, some that need to be need to be changed up. So, um, our first one we picked was uh, Batman and Robin uh, from 1997. And then we got Body Heat from 1981, uh, the classic Breakfast Club from 1985, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 1969, um, A Christmas Carol, which the most famous version is probably 84, but there's a million stories of that. Um, We got uh, Demolition Man from 1993, uh, Face-Off from 97, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986, Ocean's Eleven from 2001, and Spaceballs from
0: 1987. All right. And then our 10 rules. We had to make one of them a horror movie. We had to change the gender of every single cast member in one. We had to turn one into a Pixar movie. We had to resurrect the career of one person. One of them has to be a Tyler Perry movie. We had to force a twist ending. We had to pitch a cameo where an original cast member returns. We had to cast a comedic actor or actress in a serious role, and our final one, Tommy Wiseau has to appear in one. Now, if you don't know who Tommy Wiseau is, Tommy Wiseau wrote, directed and starred in The Room, which is arguably the worst movie ever made. It's the acting is terrible, the directing is terrible, the writing is terrible. Everything about it is trash. James Franco actually made a movie about the making of The Room and in that movie you see just how crazy Tommy Wiseau is. He's just a pure mystery. No one really knows anything about him. He has a weird Eastern European accent that he claims to be from New Orleans. Uh, Johnny, do you have anything to add about Tommy Wiseau?
1: Uh, He's a great actor and I feel like you were way too hard on him.
0: That's that's inaccurate. But I think... (laughs) I think the movie we're going to start with today is Batman and Robin. And I'll start with my pitch, if that's all right. I just got to scroll up here. It's a long way. That's a lot of writing I did.
1: So let me add, too. So the way this is going to work is Joe and I are both going to pitch our movies and then decide, based on our pitches and our casting, who who wins. And we're going to try yeah. to uh, defeat the other person in a in a point-based uh, system. So I'm going yeah, for the sweet
0: it's a best of 10. Johnny's not going to win. He's not even going to win the first point because my pitch for my Batman and Robin is okay. Well, not okay. It's great. Or should I say Pixar's Batman and Robin? Oh, God. To open, we cut between a young Bruce Wayne watching his parents die in the alley and an older Bruce watching Robin's, Robin's parents die in the circus. It's Pixar. We need that sad opening. Now, my reason for making Batman and Robin a Pixar movie was I wanted to take the cartoonishness of the live-action movie and put it in a format that would suit it better, an actual cartoon. There will be really cool visuals as the world is taken over with ice and plant life, because apparently the original version wanted the, they wanted the villains to work together, where one was Mr. Freeze, who wanted the world covered in ice, and the other was Poison Ivy, who wanted it covered in plants. Now, Mr. Freeze in the original was played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Poison Ivy was played by Uma Thurman. We had Batman played by George Clooney and Robin played by Chris O'Donnell, for those who are unaware. Now, our big emotional climax of my Pixar version, though, is Alfred dying of old age. But before that, Poison Ivy splits up Batman and Robin by making them think she loves them and not the other one with her poison kiss. Batman and Robin don't see eye to eye anymore, and all of their small problems have become big problems. When Alfred dies and Robin realizes he missed it, it causes him to come back to Bruce. Robin realizes there are things more important than a woman. And Alfred's death also inspires Barbara, Alfred's niece who has been living with Bruce and Robin to become Batgirl. The three of them take out Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. The end.
1: All right. All right. All right. I'm um, interested to see your voice cast on that one. Yeah. Uh, um, um, all right.
0: What's your pitch there, Johnny?
1: So mine essentially, um, is a similar version of the movie, but mine's more pitch of the tone. Uh, first of all, no puns that that's a problem. So taking all the puns out of the movie. I don't need any more ice puns from, uh, Arnold. Um, but basically I'm going to have to kind of get into my, my cast and my director here. So, um, my director, I chose Lexi Alexander, uh, for those who don't okay. know, did did uh, Punisher War Zone. That's obviously a much more violent movie, but I would love a Batman movie in this tone. She has the fun action movie, very comic booky. That That's kind of, you know, we have a real The Batman movie coming out. Um, so I want something a completely different tone, something fun, something a little mystical, um, especially with these characters in it. Um, so, but other than that, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of the plot from the, from the same, uh, or from the movie, but you have, if anyone hasn't seen the Mr. Freeze, uh, in the Batman animated series, the best animated version of, uh, Mr. Freeze taking shots. the best today. version of
0: Mr. Freeze.
1: The <laughs> yeah. Big time. And, um, you know, he has got a very sympathetic story. So I want to get into that, uh, a little, you know, his wife is uh, sick and he has to keep her basically frozen. And that's why he wants to turn Gotham in the world into a giant sheet of ice so he can live with his wife again and she can, uh, you know, be back to being with him. And then Poison Ivy obviously wants to cover the whole world in plants. So their plan doesn't really actually work together once, uh, you know, they actually go through with it. But they, but they team up to stop Batman and Robin. And Batman and Robin are both um, completely – intoxicated by poison Ivy and they kind of are fighting over who gets the, you know, who gets the girl. Cause she has her, you know, toxic. Uh, I don't even know what are her powers. She just like makes people she love makes them. Plants in that well, movie. And
0: then, Like, yeah, like she has a, like a toxic kiss and I guess people fall in love with her and fight so, over, fight over. Her. So
1: there we go. So they are completely intoxicated with her. And that's why, barbara gordon um in this movie because in batman and robin it was not actually barbara gordon it was like alfred's niece or something um but anyway so barbara gordon has to uh, become batgirl and stop poison ivy so her uh batman and robin can team up and stop mr freeze uh in the end so that's basically my pitch the movie and then uh We'll get into casting. So tell me your your voice cast, because uh, you will got to sell me on this uh, Pixar Batman movie.
0: All right, so uh, we need a good director, right? Every good movie has a good director. Okay. And who better than to direct a Pixar superhero movie than the guy that has directed one of the greatest superhero movies that was also a Pixar movie, Brad Bird, director of The Incredibles, is directing my Pixar Batman and Robin. Now my Batman has been in a Pixar movie before, and he's been rumored to play Batman a few times. Originally, when they were talking of replacing Ben Affleck and instead of Robert Pattinson, this guy's name was floated around him going with Army Hammer, a guy raised by billionaires, a guy born to play Batman. He is going to be voicing my Batman. Now, for Robin, another Pixar, I don't want to say legend, he's been in one movie, but he knows his way around superheroes, and that's Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland from onward is voicing my robin. Now and for, for Mr. Spies Freeze in
1: disguise.
0: Now for Mr. Freeze, you're shying away from the puns. I'm steering right into that skit, but I need someone who can deliver on those puns, someone who can make them actually funny. A voice from Toy Story 3, I'm going Keegan-Michael Key as Mr. Freeze. Now for Poison Ivy, I was scrolling through IMDb looking at all the women who have voiced Pixar characters and there was one name that stood out. Sigourney Weaver is the voice of Poison Ivy. Now for Batgirl, not a lot of young women have been the voices in Pixar movies, but one name stood out that I thought maybe had a shot of being semi-decent and I'm going Amy Poehler as the voice of Batgirl and Alfred. I I was scrolling through and I saw on Toy Story 3, he was the voice of, I think, some kind of porcupine and his name stood out to me and I'm like, oh, he would be a great Alfred and that is former James Bond himself, Timothy Dalton, is the voice of my Alfred. Now, Bane, it wouldn't be a Pixar movie without John Ratzenberger. But John Ratzenberger is <laughs> voicing my Bane. Because in that movie, all Bane says is his own name. And I would love nothing more than a behind the scenes <laughs> of John Ratzenberger walking into the Pixar studio, being like, What do you have for me today, guys? And they just hand him a sheet of paper and it just says, Bane, and he says that's a character. Like, what do you have any lines? And they said that's your line right there, Bane. He's in the studio for five minutes, and he knocks out the entire movie. That's my cast, ending with John Ratzenberger as Bane.
1: All right. Okay, I'm interested. I forgot that Bane even has speaking lines. He basically just grunts. He said. But he would just do that, but sound like Mister Ham from Toy Story, <laughs> and take you out of it.
0: You don't want Cliff Clayton to voice to voice Bane.
1: Yeah, when I see Cliff Clayton, I think Bane. You know, but it's animated, so I could see it happening. Um, so, like I said already, so uh, my director is Lexi Alexander, and that kind of gets me to my rule. Um, so, when she, a quick story about her. Uh she told this story on the podcast. How did this get made? But when Lexi Alexander was making Punisher war zone, she didn't know anything about the characters. But the studio um said the villain Jigsaw, we have a guy that you have to um, you know, at least give an interview for, give an audition to. And it, this actor blew her out of the water. Um, he knew everything about the Punisher. He was a big comic book fan and it's not someone you'd expect. And she wanted to cast him as Jigsaw the villain, but the studio said, no, we wanted to give him an audition, but you have to go with Dominic West. We're not actually giving that role. So that actor was Freddie Prince Jr. Um, So that is my, he has a career right now doing animated voices, but he doesn't have a movie career anymore. So I am resurrecting the career of Freddie Prince Jr. as Batman. Uh, in Batman and Robin to give him the long awaited uh, superhero role with Lexi Alexander that he was meant to play, you know, in 2008 in Punisher Warzone. Um, for Robin, I wanted to go someone uh, younger, uh, but has some experience. So I went with um, Asa Butterfield or Asa. Do you know how to pronounce his name? Because I, I don't. I think, um, I think so. I, I really haven't seen him much since Hugo. Um, I know he did Ender's
0: Game. And He's he on a- uh, Sex Education, which is a really good show on Netflix.
1: Okay, perfect. So even stronger reason he should be in my show is Robin to teach the kids about sex ed. Um, my girl is someone that already, you know, again, younger, about the same age as uh, Asa Butterfield and has already uh, – been a superhero that can do action that's chloe grace moretz so she was a great hit girl and now she's going to be Batgirl. um my mr freeze when they were originally going to do another schumacher batman it was going to have scarecrow and that was going to be played by jeff goldblum so he is now my mr freeze um i've given him a shot at being in batman i need jeff goldblum makes sense for the role because mr freeze is a scientist. He is not a big intimidating man like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I wanted to go with someone who actually looks like they could be a believable older guy, scientist, just trying to bring his wife back and then he needs to get in a suit to have power. But Mr. Freeze is not supposed to look intimidating out of his freeze suit. And I feel like Jeff Goldblum has that uh, look down and my poison Ivy. I'm going with probably my favorite working actress right now, um, is Sonoya Mizuno. Uh, she was uh, Kyoko in Ex Machina. She was in the show Devs, if anyone watched that. Uh, if you haven't, you really should. Um, and she's in Crazy Rich Asians. She has the look I want to go for, for Poison Ivy, and she can do action uh, to what she's proved. For my Alfred, I basically just picked an old English dude, and I went with Jonathan Price, mm-hmm. Mainly because when Jonathan Price in the 90s, he should have been cast as... Mr. Freeze and Batman and Robin, because he had to look for it. So that's that's my my cast, and I'm resurrecting Freddie Prince Jr.'s movie career.
0: All right. I have one problem though. Freddie Prince Jr. doesn't want his movie career to be resurrected. He is that's on lecture.
1: It's not his choice. It's my <laughs> choice. Is. I don't care.
0: Freddie Prince Jr. If it was
1: Batman, he would he would.
0: Freddie Prince Jr. Husband of Sarah Michelle Gellar has gone on record saying he likes voice acting because it allows him to live in L.A. and stay with his wife and kids. He doesn't want to fly off and go be in a Batman movie. He wants to stay at his house and be the voice of Kanan on Star Wars Rebels. That's all Freddie Prince Jr. wants.
1: Yeah, well, Freddie Prince is going to get the call of a lifetime. It's going to say, hey, I know you're you're happy being at home, you know, married to Daphne, but Freddie, we need you to play Batman and you're going to, and you have some history with Lexi. You two, uh, you know, you had an audition together. She really liked your audition. So boom, she's making a, a one-off Batman and Robin movie, and you're going to go in it and he's going to be all down. Cause he's a huge comic book fan and it would be his one chance to play Batman.
0: No, he, he, he would turn the chance down.
1: Well, it's not up to him. It's up to me.
0: All right. <laughs> all right we can go in circles on this all day. What problems do you have with my flawless movie?
1: My biggest problem with it is like I said, the best version of Mr. Freeze is already the animated show. So instead of just making another animated Mr. Freeze that wouldn't be as good. I would rather have a live action Mr. Freeze because we haven't seen a good version of that. You know, I've already, I have my animated Mr. Freeze. That That's my biggest problem with with your pitch, honestly, because I, you know, I, th- I think your cast is pretty good. I don't have any real problems with it. Oh, I forgot to mention, by the way, my Bane is played by someone who's great at only speaking one line and that is Vin Diesel. You don't even need to pump him full of CGI. He already looks like Bane. CGI? Yeah, you know, like you don't need you don't need CGI Bane. You just have basically real life Bane and his voice is basically disintegrated already. And he just
0: goes,
1: and, you know, it's just that it's just it's just, uh, you know, him as as Bane is my is my winning choice. And I completely forgot to, to mention that
0: Vin Diesel is old and bloated. He doesn't have muscle anymore. It's just perfectly cut fat rolls.
1: That's not even true.
0: No. Look Haven't at you
1: it. seen Fast and the Furious?
0: Yeah, 20 years ago. And now look at like Fast 8. He's old and bloated.
1: Yeah, I don't watch those movies, but I know that he's a large man. He's good at saying one word, and he's going to wear a mask. So you don't even see his like necklace
0: face. Yeah, I already can tell we need a judge.
1: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I will not give in. <laughs> <Me> either.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Like the problem with your movie is Freddie Prince Jr., I'm not gonna buy him as Batman. He looks like a frat guy.
1: Yeah, but no Ask one wanted to buy Michael guy. no one wanted to buy Michael Keaton as Batman. And yeah, he and was a, a, a great Batman. Batman. He was a good Batman. He was a weird Bruce Wayne, but he was a good okay, Batman. Freddie Prince Jr., you dye his hair black, you don't have him say, shout, he let's get sure nuts. Black. Yeah, I don't know. He's I just only picture him in scooby doo so I still picture him with blonde <laughs> Freddie hair. So you take out the Ascot and you give him a bat suit, and, and that's, that's, that's the winning choice right there.
0: I don't know. I don't really like cast better. Who was the voice of your Mr. Freeze? Keegan-Michael Key. Okay,
1: I, I could see it. I'd rather see him as the live-action uh, Mr. Freeze. I feel like he'd be a good live-action Mr. Freeze, too. Yeah, bro,
0: we want we want a pixar the movie is a cartoon the movie is a live action cartoon it is basically a movie version of the 1960 TV show and that was a cartoon essentially so i'm putting it in its natural state a cartoon you are just making a different batman movie you're not rebooting batman and robin
1: <laughs> i guess yep. that's fair i'm basically taking the entire movie. You're and taking changing the characters
0: it and being like, "I'm making a different movie with these characters." Where I'm saying, "We're going to make the same movie, we're going to make it better, and we're going to put it in animation."
1: Yeah, but I'm going to be honest. If I give in to that uh, rule, then uh, I'm going to lose pretty much all of these because I changed everything about these. Oh, movies. I changed quite a bit. <laughs> this is the one I
0: changed the least on, and that's why I'm fighting this point right now.
1: See, I'll con- I'll concede on this for one reason. Uh, mine, while it's a movie that I would rather see, I think, um, a Pixar Batman is at least very different than anything we've had. And mine is basically a live action version of some of the DC animated films that we've kind of, kind of had the the tone and stuff. Oh, the one thing that, um, I would change on yours though. I forgot because it was in your pitch. You said every Pixar movie needs an emotional opening I do not care to ever see again on screen Batman's you know Bruce Wayne's family getting killed and even Robin's family getting killed. I'll give you the point if you change your opening to the story of Mr. Freeze. You have the love story oh, okay. basically that. up. That's that's a much if you had said that you would have won it won me right away. But I'll give you that uh, I'll take tip. That and then make your movie. So you have a three-minute up scene of him falling in love with his wife. She gets sick, and then he becomes Mr. Freeze. uh, I want to see that as a Pixar opening scene. Yeah,
0: that's actually better. I will say I would have given you the point, and I know it was the rule, if you would cast literally anyone slightly better than (laughs) Freddie Prinze. I don't hate Freddie Prinze Jr. I love Freddie Prinze Jr. I just don't love Freddie Prinze Jr. as Batman.
1: I basically only did that because I love Lexi Alexander's story about him almost being Jigsaw because she wanted to cast him. And then the mm-hmm. studio was like, no, we can't actually do it. We just wanted to throw him a bone. And she was like, but he came in and killed the audition. So I'm like, you know, you would never see him as that character. Anyone who hasn't seen the movie, look up Jigsaw and Punisher war zone. That's what they were going to make Freddie Prince jr. Look like. And, uh, it's not something that you've ever seen him in. So I'd love to just see him in a big comic book movie because I feel like he he kind of deserves it because he got shafted uh, about you know 12 years ago.
0: All right. Well, I can already say we're 20 minutes in and one movie down, and so we might have to do less than 10 movies from now on. But And we should also describe the movie first, unlike what I just did of jumping straight into my pitch. So I guess you're conceding the point. I take the point, which means you pick the next movie and you pick whether you start or I start.
1: All right. So I am going to pick one that honestly will be pretty quick since that one went a little long. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. And I'll, I'll let you pitch, uh, pitch first on this one.
0: All right. Yeah, my pitch is actually going to be pretty short as well. So the original Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I think I've seen it one time, maybe. It's two males played by Paul Newman and Robert Redford are on the run, and they make their way to Bolivia, I think. And it's just a classic Western, two guys on the run. That's all you really need to know, because that's all I really knew when I wrote my pitch. So my rule is i flip the gender on this one because i'm like hey it's two manly men let's make it two women and i thought it'd be interesting to do that if take like hey here's two manly actors in paul newman and robert redford and make them women and i basically made it Thelma and louise set in the west two female outlaws causing trouble and on the run i would take it seriously and it wouldn't be a full-on comedy and i wouldn't draw attention to the fact that they're women it would just They would be women, but it wouldn't be like every scene is, ha-ha, they're women out in the West. That's basically my pitch. Johnny, what do you got?
1: All right. So I'm just going to tell you now I'm winning this point because this is a movie that needs to get made, and it's pretty much all about the cast because there's only two people in this whole movie. And I have Butch Cassidy played by Tommy Wiseau, our boy from The Room, And as the young up and coming Sundance kid, we have James Franco as Tommy Wiseau as the Sundance kid. The movie, uh, obviously my rule is putting Tommy Wiseau in and the director is both James Franco and Tommy Wiseau. There are no other characters in this movie. The whole movie is Tommy Wiseau as Butch Cassidy training James Franco as Tommy Wiseau as the Sundance kid. How to be a cowboy in an old West ghost town. That's the whole movie. It's right. just those two out west and they're just you know going back and forth for for probably 2 hours.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to at least reveal my director and cast. So my director, <laughs> my writer director, if you want to make a great western, you get the guy who's knocked out who wrote Heller Highwater, who wrote Sicario, who wrote and directed Wind River. I'm going Taylor Sheridan as my writer director of my reboot of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Now, I when I cast Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I didn't think of them individually. I wanted a good pair. So I went for people that have worked together in the past that I thought had good chemistry, and I remember two actresses in the movie The Favorite, Rachel Weisz as Butch Cassidy and Emma Stone as the Sundance Kid. Uh, Rachel Weisz has been in like a lot of period piece dramas. I think she was – what James Bond movie was she in? I was pretty sure she was in the James Bond movie, or am I wrong?
1: Who Rachel Weiss, yeah, or maybe she's just Um, married to
0: Daniel Craig, so I just assume she was in a Bond movie.
1: Let me find that because I do not remember.
0: And that anyway, Emma Stone, she's been in La La Land, she was in Easy A, which is an underrated comedy. But either way, like, I think far and away my movie is better but what movie am I going to go buy a ticket to see? It's definitely (laughs) Tommy Wiseau and James Franco. Of course. Tommy Wiseau and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid reboot. I concede my point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I See, mine, I basically thought, you know, we've had Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The original holds up because Westerns never get old you know so i was like instead of just trying to make a new serious version i'm just gonna make the movie i want to see and rachel weiss was in the born legacy that's
0: probably Uh, not not i I know she's married to daniel craig so i was thinking that's why so i guess it's my pick what do i want you know what i'm on this movie right now and i don't want to scroll too far I'm going to go, we're going to tackle a Christmas carol next. <laughs> and All right. I'm going to let Johnny go first. I mean, I'll I'll describe a Christmas carol first. It's uh, a guy, he's a piece of crap, gets visited by three ghosts that reveal to him what Christmas was like in the past, when he was happy, what Christmas is like now, where other people were happy, and what Christmas is like in the future, where he's dead and people are happy he's dead. And then he decides at the end, I don't want to be a piece of shit anymore. There you go. That's what a Christmas Carol is.
1: Yeah. And there's a million different versions. And my favorite version is Scrooge. So I kind of played off that a little um, in terms of how it is, but this might be my most passionate one so far. And honestly, it's probably the story I care the least about in terms of a Christmas Carol. And the rule I thought I'd care the least about because I'm making Tyler Perry's A Christmas Carol. And I'm just going to read you my pitch because this is my longest one. Um, All right. So the year is 2035. Tyler Perry plays an older and crankier version of himself who has given up comedy to become a serious actor. He has not played Medea since the year 2020. Perry is rude to his setmates after a bad shoot where he refused to do more takes. Later that night in, in his penthouse... Perry hears what sounds like grunting and rattling handcuff chains before being visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, played by DMX. He tells Perry that tonight he'll be visited by three ghosts. Soon after the ghost of, of Christmas past, played by Martin Lawrence as Big Mama from Big Mama's House appears. Big Mama shows Tyler the joy of children watching Big Mama's House and how sad they would be without that film next enter the Ghost of Christmas present played by Jay Farrow as Medea. Now Jay Farrow is on SNL and he has uh, a couple shows right now too. Um, but Jay that too. Yeah and uh, so Jay was chosen to take over the role of Medea after Perry's retirement from the character. Uh, Jay's Medea takes uh, Tyler to a mostly empty movie theater where the actual Jay Farrow sits in the back in shame while his Medea movie is being booed by the few people in attendance. Last, enter the Ghost of Christmas Future, played by Eddie Murphy as an elderly version of Respucia from Norbit. Now, Respucia brings Tyler Perry to a graveyard and points to the grave that reads, Eddie Murphy's career, died in 2007. <laughs> Perry thinks this means he should not play Medea anymore since it killed Eddie's career being in Norbit. Until he turns around and sees a new gravestone. This one reads, Here lies the career of Tyler Perry. Died in 2020. Never abandon your roots. So Tyler Perry realizes all the pain he has caused the world and himself by giving up his famous role of Medea. The film ends with Perry walking back into the movie studio, dressed as Medea, and announcing, I'm back, baby. And then over the credits, a trailer for Medea returns. A Medea Christmas Carol plays. So that's yeah. my whole cast, and uh, Tyler Perry is directing this movie.
0: Yeah, that speaks like someone who hasn't watched Dolomite is my name, starring Eddie Murphy, one of the best comedies, if not the best comedy last year.
1: Also, someone who has never seen a Medea movie or Big Mama's <laughs> House or Norbit. But, you know,
0: Eddie Murphy's career is not dead. Eddie Murphy's career got resurrected last year.
1: This is an alternate reality where Tyler Perry gives up being Medea, which is also never going to (laughs) happen.
0: All right. So here's my pitch for A Christmas Carol. And A Christmas Carol is a movie about a man being haunted by four ghosts. It's destined to be a horror film. I want the ghosts (laughs) to be super scary. They're gross and horrifying. Something that would intimidate even the most powerful of men. The overall story is about a black man you know i'm gonna you drop your cast and director i'm gonna drop do it my all cast. do it all
1: do it all i have my, nothing else to say to
0: mine my director writer jordan peele my ebenezer scrooge denzel washington my bob Cratchit, who works for ebenezer scrooge lakeith stanfield who's been in uh he's been uh he was sorry in to get bother out. you he was in sorry to sorry bother to God- you Sorry to bother you, get out. He played Snoop Dogg in uh, Straight Out of Compton. My Jacob Marley is Ted Levine, who's I know him best for playing Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. I, I, of, was,
1: I was thinking Ted Mosby, but then I realized it's <laughs> not the real person's name.
0: <laughs> My ghost of Christmas past is Tony Todd, who's played Candyman and he also played Zoom in the cw flash show show my ghost of christmas past or present sorry is lupita Nyong'o, who i mainly put in here to pander to johnny to
1: pander to me
0: but she's been in us uh she was in the jungle book as the wolf that raises mowgli the john she Favre plays Disney the version.
1: whole eyes character in star wars
0: yeah, uh, she plays Maz Kanata in the new Star Wars trilogy. And then my ghost of Christmas future. Who better to show Denzel Washington his own future than his the, his son, John David Washington, star of Black Klansman and Christopher Nolan's next movie, Tenet. So anyways, my overall story is about a black man from the hood who got rich by becoming a slumlord and instead of helping the community he came from, ignores it and has actually made it worse. The Ghost of Christmas Past shows him celebrating Christmas as a kid. He didn't have a lot, but he was loved. It then shows him skipping Christmas with his family and friends to work when he's an older teenager, maybe a young 20-year-old. The Ghost of Christmas Present shows his family celebrating Christmas in low-income housing that he actually owns. There are a lot of people in a small space, but they're happy, and he's not there. The ghost of Christmas future shows him another Christmas. Again, everyone is happy. He is confused until he sees they are his tenants celebrating his death. The movie ends with him changing his ways and personally helping to fix up his properties. And that's my entire pitch for A Christmas Carol. And I'm surprised we both made our Christmas carols black Christmas carols.
1: Yeah, but mine is more about (laughs) Medea. And honestly, mine sounds like a scarier movie than yours. And it wasn't meant to be.
0: Yours is scarier if you're Tyler Perry. Yours is <laughs> a scarier because it just means there's more Medea movies.
1: That's he loves Medea. And it's to show, it's to remind Tyler Perry that the world loves Medea and he can never stop being Medea. So <laughs> see, in this reality, he gives up. He tries to be a serious actor because he's good and gone girl. Then he realizes no one cares about that and they just want Medea back. So, see. and you have great cameos from other characters. I will yeah, not see the thing, thing is Just a spoiler alert. The
0: thing is, my movie is better, and I'm more interested to see my movie. Your movie sounds terrible, and I have zero interest in ever watching it.
1: It's not about your interest, Joe. Mine's about making money. and my box, there is nothing that will make more money than this movie. Your hey, movie, Jordan sure, Peele it's a Christmas horror movie.
0: Yeah, Jordan cause... Peele Christmas Carol.
1: But I would never want to see Jordan Peele waste his talents doing a Christmas Carol movie. I want to see him doing more movies like Us and Get Out that are original, you know, uh, movies by by his mind. You know, I, I'm excited, he's for, gonna,
0: he's gonna I'm take excited for
1: Candyman. Um,
0: which he like, produced.
1: But he produced it. And I, I could see him, like, producing a version of A Christmas Carol. But I have no interest in seeing A, a Christmas Carol directed by him. You're kind of just wasting people I want to see in better roles. I'm picking a movie. I'm giving DMX work because he needs some work, all right? <laughs> DMX hasn't done anything in a long time. He was amazing <laughs> in his little cameo in Top 5, and I basically just want another scene like that. And he can also – it's a Christmas carol, so he can literally be in this movie as Jacob Marley singing uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All right,
0: because of that, just because I want that again, I can concede my <laughs> That if you have not watched DMX singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, stop watching this right now. Go on and just go on YouTube above your search bar and type in DMX Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and enjoy the next 45 seconds of your life.
1: Exactly. And that's going to be just my whole movie.
0: Just All right. That. So I guess I have to pick again.
1: Yeah. You, you got to pick a winner here, Joe, because I'm on a roll.
0: Yeah. I don't. You know what? No, I'm not going to do that one. I'm going to do Ocean's Eleven, and I'll start this time. Because I know Ocean's Eleven pretty well. I can can describe it. Ocean's Eleven, basically plot of the movie. Daniel Ocean gets out of prison, played by George Clooney, and decides he's going to rob three casinos at the same time. No one in Las Vegas history has ever robbed a casino one time, and he's going to rob all three in one night. And he goes and he gets a crew of 10 more guys. They rob the casino. And it turns out the owner of all three casinos is dating his ex-wife. And at the very end, it's revealed that he tells the casino owner, hey, if you stop dating my ex-wife, I'll figure out where your money is and you can have it. And Terry Benedict, the owner of the casino says that, you know that works for me, I'll make it happen. Well, unbeknownst to Terry Benedict, his ex-wife, or, well, his girlfriend, uh, Daniel Ocean's ex-wife, was watching the whole time. And she's not too happy, and she leaves him, and she goes back to George Clooney. So George Clooney gets the money and gets the girl. And that's basically the plot of Ocean's Eleven. Now, for my... Yeah, for those
1: those of you who haven't seen the small independent film Ocean's Eleven, here's the plot breakdown.
0: (laughs) Not everyone has seen Ocean's Eleven. All right.
1: Hey, I'm going to be honest. That's probably true. But I'm glad you explained it because I did not write out anything in far, as far as the plotter pitch. So at least yeah, I don't have I to didn't do any
0: write work. That. I didn't write that down. I just – that was from memory. And so the George Clooney Ocean's Eleven was a crime thriller with a touch of comedy. I'm going to make it a full-on laugh-out-loud comedy with a touch of heart. It's the same plot as the Clooney version but packed with jokes and goofy over-the-top characters. Danny Ocean, who was recently released from prison, wants to rob three Las Vegas casinos, just like I said, except for in the original version. Well, in the, Dan- in the George Clooney version, it was a boxing match. I'm going to make it a UFC fight. It's 2020. No one cares about boxing. It's all about UFC. He approaches his best friend, Rusty, and they decide they need more guys, all of which have various skills, including the two most talented drivers west of the Mississippi, the Malloy brothers, who constantly bicker back and forth. Uh, the casinos have recently been bought by eccentric tech mogul Terry Benedict. In the original version, he was more of like a mob boss, but this version, especially when you see who I cast, an eccentric tech mogul makes way more sense. At the end of the movie, Daniel Ocean, having all of the money stashed away, is approached by Benedict, who is engaged to Ocean's ex wife, like I said. Uh, Benedict suspects Ocean is involved in his casinos robbery. Ocean says he doesn't know anything, but he might know a guy who knows something. Ocean tells Benedict if he breaks off the wedding, he will find Benedict's money. Benedict agrees. Ocean's ex-wife overhears and walks out on him. The movie ends with the Malloy brothers bickering as they drive the van with all of the money. Their arguing distracts them, and they crash and flip over the van, causing all of the money to blow across the Las Vegas Strip, leaving all of our heroes broke.
1: So did we go over what your rule is or is that your cast? Like, uh, is We haven't got cast?
0: to my rule yet. My rule is in the casting.
1: Okay, so I'll, I'll get into mine and I'll do my cast and then you can do yours because you obviously put more work into this than me because basically mine is now picture what you just said but as a Pixar movie. <laughs>
0: I'm, I, somehow, I, if, if, somehow if you had said which movie did Johnny make a Pixar movie, I said I feel like it's Ocean's Eleven. <laughs>
1: It is because I didn't know what else to do with it. And I didn't care enough to not make it a Pixar movie. So my director, what a coincidence, it's Brad Bird, director of Ratatouille, The Incredibles, and also Mission Impossible, uh, Ghost Protocol. So you already have some heist type stuff in there. He knows how to direct some action. Funny enough, he worked with George Clooney in Tomorrowland, but he won't be doing that in this movie. I'll just go over my cast. Uh, I kind of wrote out what everyone's roles are, too, so uh, uh, people know. But I have Danny Ocean uh, that is played now by Jason Bateman. I need someone kind of smooth and cunning, and he kind of does that well in uh, Zootopia. Um, Frank Cotton, uh, played by Bernie Mac. He's a con man and a casino worker. I, I want uh, Chris Rock to voice that character. Um, I feel like, you know, Bernie Mac was a good, uh, he was an inspiration to Chris rock and one of his idols and he had passed on. So Chris rock would be honored to take over that role. Um, Brad Pitt. I need someone who's worked in a Pixar movie before and has a, uh, a rusty Ryan. I said, Brad Pitt, but, um, I'm going to put Jason Lee as that role. Uh, he's got the, the voice I'm looking for for that. And he was already in the Incredibles working with Brad Pitt. Um, Brad Bird. As Brad Pitt. I keep saying Brad Pitt instead of Brad Bird. That's too confusing to me. All right. So past that. um, Elliot Gould. uh, He was played by Ruben Tishkoff in the original one. I'm throwing John Ratzenberger in there because he's got to be in every Pixar movie. Um, Virgil and Turk Malloy uh, were played by Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck. They're both mechanics. I'm making them a father-son duo played by Damon Wayans and Damon Wayans Jr., um, Livingston Dell played by Eddie Jemison in the original one. He's an electronics expert. So I picked someone who already has, uh, you know, electronics work in a movie and that's Jim Carrey because of his work in the classic movie, the cable guy. So he's got to be the electrician. Um, and then I am having uh, Don Cheadle's character, Basher Tarr. Uh, he's an explosive expert who better to work with explosives than Jason Statham. I need a character that's all ready to blow things up. And they're like, no, 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 that's not the plant. Um, the amazing Yen is a uh, Shabokin in the original one. He's an acrobat. So I have Donnie Yen voicing him. Um, and I'm going to give him a few more lines cause I don't know if he even speaks much in the, uh, in actual oceans 11, Saul Bloom played by Carl Reiner. He's an elderly con man. Uh, Carl Reiner just recently passed. So who better to play him than Rob Reiner, his son, um, Linus Caldwell, uh, it was Matt Damon. He was a pickpocket. So I want someone with some experience pickpocketing, and that's uh, Menem Musad uh, from Aladdin. Uh, he is a, you know, maybe the most famous movie character, Pickpocket, and he needs more work. He was good in Aladdin, even though that movie was average. Um, Tony Benedict, Andy Garcia, he's the Cuban casino owner, so who better to play that over-the-top Cuban casino owner than Pitbull himself, Mr. Worldwide. And Tess Ocean, uh, we're replacing Julie Roberts with Rose Byrne just because I uh, needed someone who's been in comedy movies and she was good in Neighbors. And I like Rose Byrne. So that's my whole movie. It's just Ocean's Eleven but Pixar. And uh, you had some more jokes in there and a better cast, honestly.
0: All right, so my version of Ocean's Eleven, my director-writer. It's a comedy. It's a heist movie. It's a little bit of action. Who better than Taika Waititi to direct Ocean's Eleven? Now, but, And then I try to stick with people that have worked with Taika in the past. Not all of them have, but they have some connection to Taika. Taika Waititi, he, if you didn't know, has directed Thor Ragnarok, directed What We Do in the Shadows, directed the season finale of The Mandalorian. So my Danny Ocean, who better than Heimdall himself, Idris Elba. For Rusty, who was originally played by Brad Pitt, I got Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth. And Linus, who was, who was played by Matt Damon, uh, who was like originally the son of a guy they used to work with, I'm now switching his character, and he's now Rusty's younger brother. So I'm getting Liam Hemsworth to play Linus the pickpocket. Bad now, choice. Frank, like Johnny said, he's a casino worker, originally played by Bernie Mac. I'm going with Carl Weathers. Apollo Creed himself is now playing Frank. Now Ruben, the rich guy that's backing all of the... Is played by Jeff Goldblum. Now, Basher. Here is where my rule comes in. Basher was a guy that had an accent no one could understand. That I was confused by as a kid, and who better th- to play Basher than Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> and I feel go. like Tommy Wiseau would be perfect in a Taika Waititi movie because I think Taika Waititi can make him work. I think Taika Waititi can make Tommy Wiseau actually funny in this movie. He now my, is funny. He no, is funny know.
1: by himself. He's funny. Don't you follow him on Twitter? No. He's a comedic genius.
0: And so my Malloy brothers, Virgil and Turk, are played by two people that have worked with Tyka on What We Do in the Shadows. I have Jermaine Clement from the movie and Matt Berry from What We Do in the Shadows TV show. Now Livingston Dell is the tech guy, and this one was harder for me to cast. But I eventually settled on Sam Rockwell, who worked with Tyka on uh, Jojo Rabbit. Now, my yen, I couldn't find really any Asian people that have worked with uh, Taika in the past. So I went with the most comedic choice, and I went with Julian Dennison, who worked with Taika in Hunt for the Wilder People, and he was also the young child in, oh, in Deadpool, uh, Deadpool 2. And I think we'd have to change the backstory from being a acrobat, but I think putting Julian Dennison in this movie in any role is a great choice. And I agree with Johnny on one thing. We got to replace Saul and RIP Carl Reiner. And who better to take over the role of Saul than Rob Reiner?
1: Yeah, I knew we'd both have that choice. We're both smart and, men. Yeah,
0: for sure. And Terry Benedict. It's a Taika Waititi movie. Who better to play an eccentric tech mogul Isn't it, than Isn't
1: it Tony Benedict or Terry Benedict?
0: Terry Benedict.
1: Oh, I have Tony Benedict.
0: Yeah, it's ter- yeah. It's who A
1: whole different person.
0: <laughs> who better to take over the role and be an eccentric tech mogul than Tyco Waititi himself is playing? And then for Tess Ocean, I couldn't find anyone I like that had worked with Taika in the past, so I just cast a good comedic actress, and I have I- Isla Fisher as Tess Ocean, who I could see being in love with in love with both Taika and uh, Idris Elba. And so that's my pitch for Ocean's Eleven with Tommy Wiseau.
1: See, I feel like you wasted your rule of Tommy Wiseau because he should be the star of the movie. I I intentionally buried
0: him. He
1: should 100% be Terry Benedict in this movie. No. That is the role that he was born to play other than my movie with him where he was also (laughs) born to play. Um and and the Joker, which he campaigned himself to be for a while. Um, you obviously put more work in. You have a, an actual plot. Uh, I just kind of put people <laughs> I thought I'd like as the voices. Honestly, I'm not interested in seeing your movie, but uh, you put more work in, so while I don't want to concede, I respect the work that you put into put into it. And I agree. We both nailed the Rob Reiner casting. So
0: yeah, obviously that's
1: good. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the one thing with your movie though, I love Taika Waititi and I love all the actors you cast. But again, I have no interest in seeing a Taika Waititi Oceans 11. I want to see a Taika Waititi original movie or something like that. But since ours basically takes place in a fictional world, it's not like he's a losing work because of,
0: because
1: uh, yeah. of your, your fictional movie. So I'll give it to you. You know? I won't even have you fight for it. Nice. I have no emotional connection to Oceans Eleven.
0: I love Oceans Eleven. It's and you it's love my it. Top all time. I think I accidentally deleted one of our movies from the banner, so we will have one that doesn't have
1: a yeah, that'll be all right. All right. So it is now two two. I need to to bounce back here, get a point. Let's see. Where am I going to go? Yeah, definitely. Should I go with my comedic pitch, or should I go with the movie I actually want? You know what? I'm going to go with Spaceballs, and I'm going to go second on this one.
0: All right, so Spaceballs, if you haven't seen it, it's a spoof of the original uh, Star Wars trilogy. And there's other space and movie references in there as well. But for the most part, it's a spoof of the original Star Wars trilogy. Now, I'm just going to give you my full pitch right now. Yeah, do it all
1: because I'm going to do my whole thing after you.
0: All right. So I'll, I won't <laughs> give you my, my rule quite yet. But my writer director is Lord and Miller because I feel they can take all of their hate and passion from being fired from Solo and channel it into this movie. So, obviously, Lone Star, I'm bringing back Pil- Bill Pullman. And I didn't put, and so what I'm essentially doing instead of rebooting the movie is I'm making a sequel to Spaceballs that is a spoof of the sequel trilogy. My, and I just put their, the sequel trilogy name in there. I didn't try to come up with like new character names. So my Kylo Ren analog is played by Channing Tatum. My Ray analog is played by uh, Anna Kendrick. I combined the roles of Finn and Poe and I'm bringing back Donald Glover out of Star Wars and I'm putting him in this movie. My BB-8 will be played by Peter Dinklage. And because of of the death of John Candy, I'm saying Barf died as well, and we're bringing Barf Jr. into the adventure, and he's being played by Jack Black. So this is my movie. A scavenger girl, Ray, meets a former space ball, uh, Donald Glover, who we learn is the son of the we ain't found shit guy. Because apparently everyone in Star Wars has to be connected to someone else, and why can't that be the same for space balls? Uh, she helps him escape the Spaceballs who are looking for the BB-8, a small alcoholic droid, which essentially what I would have is Peter Dinklage and, like, a orange and white hamster ball running around. And it's clear it's just a guy and a hamster ball, and he's just chugging beers. Because I, for whatever reason, I feel like that fits with Spaceballs, and it's funny. They soon run into Lone Star, BB-8's owner, and Barf Jr., Lone Star is down on his luck and grumpy. His former student abandoned him and turned to the dark side. Lone Star recognizes the Schwartz in the girl, but refuses to train her because she'll abandon him too. They get a dis- distress call from Je- now General Vespa uh, that Dark Helmet 2.0, which is essentially Kylo Ren, has attacked the capital. In that moment, Lone Star decides to train the girl in the Schwartz. Many jokes about the former space ball not having anything to do, just like uh, Finn didn't have anything to do in in the sequel trilogy. Lone Star trains her in the Schwartz and they go take on Dark Helmet 2.0. We find out Dark Helmet 2.0 is Lone Star and Vespa's son, obviously. Uh, he then kills Lone Star and captures the girl. He takes the girl to his mento- mentor, Dark Helmet, with a Rick Moranis cameo. That's my rule that I'm bringing in, is a cameo from an original cast member and we're bringing back Rick Moranis. So you could almost say I'm reviving his career, but we obviously can't use two rules rules in one, so it's just a Rick Moranis cameo. Uh, There, Dark Helmet reveals the girl is his granddaughter and tries to return her to the dark side, but eventually Dark Helmet 2.0 kills Dark Helmet, and the girl kills Dark Helmet 2.0. And that is my pitch for Spaceballs 2.
1: All right, well... Interesting. Um, who did you, did you, uh, who was your director? Lord Miller?
0: Uh, Lord Miller, who directed okay. uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street. The Lego directed movie. Proudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie. Yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, fired from Solo uh, for making it seem like an East Ventura movie, which in mm-hmm. hindsight I would have rather seen. So my movie, um, I will give you my cast and then I'll, uh, I'll do my pitch and tell you my rule. So my lone star, you know, you got to go with the chalk here. Uh, he could have been Han Solo in a different reality, but Chris Pratt, he's going to be my lone star. Mine's not a sequel. It is a remake of the original one. Um, barf, uh, RIP John Candy bar. My barf is going to be played by Jonah Hill. We're going to make him gain a little weight again. He's going <laughs> to play barf. Um, Cause you need fat Jonah Hill in a comedy. Um, My dark helmet, uh, I need someone who can kind of capture that old Rick Moranis character and someone nerdy enough to know about the franchise. So I'm going to throw Patton Oswalt as a dark helmet. I feel like he would be perfect for that role. Yogurt, I want uh, Steve Martin to play yogurt, Uh, teach him about the, you know, the. uh, the Now I don't even remember. What is it? The The Schwartz. The Schwartz. There we go. Uh, Princess Vespa, I have uh, Kate McKinnon. And Dot Matrix, I have Kristen Wiig. They have good chemistry together. They're friends. And they can can be a nice little pair. And uh, Kristen Wiig annoys me. And that's kind of what Dot Matrix is supposed to do. So I feel like that's a role I could see her being good at. Uh, My director is going to be Malcolm D. Lee of uh, Girls Trip. Uh, I felt like it's someone else who kind of needs like a bigger budget comedy. Uh, Girlship's great. So wanted to see him get some, some more work. So my rule is that there is going to be a twist thrown into Spaceballs. So I'm going to read you my pitch and I'm going to try to look at your face while I do it. So the movie plays out similar to the original space balls with some updated references. Um, but, before Lone Star is able to defeat Dark Helmet while they are fighting, you hear the voice, the voice of George Lucas yelling, J.J., stop playing with your toys and come down for dinner. The film cuts to J.J. Abrams in his room holding toys of Dark Helmet and Lone Star and clashing them together and says, George, stop interrupting me. I'm playing with my toys. The camera cuts to the rest of J.J.'s room. Next to the table full of Spaceballs toy is a a table full of the Disney Star Wars characters. It is revealed that the Disney Star Wars films are not true canon, but in the same universe as this Spaceballs movie, allowing more capable minds to make the new episode seven through nine trilogy. (laughs) Boom, twist. Now we're remaking all the Star Wars Disney movies.
0: Yeah, I'm never conceding this point. (laughs) We can be here for 20 hours and you will not defeat me.
1: I put more thought into mine and it is essentially to troll you, but also would allow us to get a actual real trilogy that doesn't continue to shit all over itself. uh, Like the new seven through nine does. Um, And I just think it shouldn't be canon and you can remake it. You could also use it to remake the prequels, have it cut to the prequel stuff. The only real Star Wars movies are the original ones. So make new ones. I was debating on George Lucas or Kathleen Kennedy for the voice calling to JJ, but George Lucas has a more noticeable voice. Yeah. I just yeah. can't do an impression of it.
0: Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm not conceding this point. My movie is a real movie. Your movie is a joke. But
1: your, your, movie, your movie is a setup. So a is punchline. space. What's more Spaceballs than just using it to set up a punchline? That's what the whole movie is. Your movie is just a sequel that no one wants
0: i want it. everyone wants baseballs too there were posters like two years only ago. only if mel brooks is City. doing it i would at this point i'd rather have prime lord and miller than 99 year old mel brooks sad about the death of his best friend i don't Wait, i don't need what? mel brooks i don't need mel brooks to do another movie he's old and he doesn't know what he's doing anymore when's the last time he's done a movie i'd rather have lord and miller in the prime you
1: keep saying Prime, but weren't they just fired off Star Wars movies, which that movie wouldn't exist anymore, so they wouldn't have anything to be angry about. Yeah. That movie's just going to be like, oh yeah, that's not true canon. Those well, were I... all the entire <laughs> 7 through 9 trilogy and all the Disney movies and this Spaceballs movie were all just to set up my joke twist ending. It would be the greatest con in movie history. It'd be like the MCU setting up Thanos, but Thanos is just a twist. Yeah, be- no. It'd be something never you're, you're done trying
0: to win me over. You're trying to win me over by taking away Solo, a movie that's awesome. You're going to take away The Force Awakens, a movie that's awesome. Yeah, maybe The Last Jedi is just okay, and The Rise of Skywalker is fine. But no, also- The
1: Rise of Skywalker is the worst movie ever made in the history of <laughs> film, and it extensively makes The Force Awakens, which used to be good, and The Last Jedi, which used to be good, The Rise of Skywalker is so bad for existing that those movies are terrible. Now, if you like The Force Awakens, you could remake Force Awakens just how it is. But then we could get better sequels to it. You know, this provides a better opportunity for the future of film than being stuck with another shitty Star Wars trilogy because they haven't done a good one in now, what, almost 50 years?
0: Yeah, you're saying that as someone who recently talked about Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is pure trash. Batman and Robin is like the rise of Skywalker. Batman and Robin doesn't
1: because of Batman and Robin, we got the Dark Knight trilogy. Because of the rise of Skywalker, they ruined all hope that people have in Disney as a company. Disney will now go bankrupt without my space balls movie. John is probably better for the world. So
0: that's just inaccurate.
1: Yeah, well, I like to take things to extremes while I'm debating. (laughs) I do not know how how either of us will win this one.
0: Are we just going to call this a push and no point? No point awarded? We'll we'll,
1: we'll have to go no point because I refuse to concede. Yeah. Mine, so we're mine is waiting a
0: judge. We're Yeah,
1: we're definitely getting a judge. And my judge is going to be someone who hates Star Wars like me. Not really. but So who – what are
0: we saying? Right. I, I picked the, pick the last <laughs> I one.
1: No, I don't know what we do about that. <laughs>
0: And I think Ooh, you picked baseball. So I, I picked pick that baseball.
1: one. You pick one. You pick one.
0: Okay. I think for the next one, we're going to head to Chicago. We're going to go. We're going to go to the breakfast club. All right. So, all right. So the original breakfast club is basically about five very different kids who all get detention for different reasons. And they all grow and become better friends and they all will grow to actually become friends. And then the principal's there and he yells at them. And then that's, that's the breakfast club essentially. It's all you really need to know. All
1: right, It's five clicks. They don't, they don't think they're going yeah, it's, to it's, work together. And they, by the end of it, they're, they're friends because they yeah. team up to be rebellious. Yeah.
0: Basically. Uh, it, it's it, everyone knows what the breakfast club is, even if they haven't seen it. Still The Breakfast Club, or as I should say, Tyler Perry's The Breakfast Club. Now,
1: I was waiting for this role to come into play for you.
0: (laughs) My version of Tyler Perry's The Breakfast Club is about black teens dealing what it means to be a black teen in America. The jock is told to avoid politics and focus on football, even though he wants to major in poli sci next year in college. The nerd doesn't connect with quote unquote black culture because he doesn't listen to hip hop and he prefers Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings over Black Panther. The popular girl grew up with money and wants to support the Black Lives Matter movement, but doesn't connect to the struggles and stories of a lot of her classmates and other activists. The loner girl is an extreme activist who supports many causes, but it has cost her friendships because she doesn't make time for them. And then the troubled kid is who they all compare themselves to because he's maybe not, he's like middle-class and he has a lot of the struggles and he has friends and he supports the causes. But at the end it's revealed just like in the, in the original version that his home life isn't that great. And essentially the overall movie is about being who you are and not being what you're told you're supposed to be and i'll just drop my cast in as well obviously my director writer tyler perry my jock is played by caleb mclaughlin i don't know how to say it but he's the one black kid in stranger things it's really all he's known for the troubled kid gonna go with jaden smith the nerd is justice smith who was in uh pokemon detective pikachu he was in jurassic park fallen kingdom or whatever that crappy movie was called The the popular girl is played by Halle Bailey, who I've never seen in anything, but apparently she's going to play Ariel in Disney's uh, Little Mermaid. My loner girl is played by Zendaya, who has been in a number of Disney Channel shows. She plays MJ in the new Spider-Man movies. And of course, my principal is now Principal Medea, played by
1: Tyler. There you go. Principal Medea. So wait. So you pitched this movie, and I know it's a comedy, but you pitched it as a Tyler Perry movie where his characters actually have depth.
0: Not all Tyler. And then you made it
1: a Medea movie.
0: Not all Tyler. Yeah, because it's a little bit of both. Like like, the principal shows in and then he yells at them and then leaves, and then they have all of their emotional moments. And so that's what it is. It's like depth with like a little bit of comedy every time Medea shows up.
1: Yeah, 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 but I feel like you have a misunderstanding of Tyler Perry movies.
0: Okay, because I've seen none of them. So.
1: Yes, well. I almost went to see one in theaters because my girlfriend's grandparents are. Um, they're Jamaican, but they live in Canada and they love uh, Medea. So we almost saw whatever the last one was, but it was. I have no idea. It got too late. So we went to see something else without them, which uh, was fine by me. But. Uh, if, uh, you make that a Tyler Perry movie, I might see it. No, I won't. <laughs> anyway, my pitch, uh, I took the rule, you know, it's basically, it's going to play out the same as the regular breakfast club, but I switched the genders of all of the, uh, recasted roles in okay. my movie. I felt like this was kind of prime for that. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an eighties movies. 80s movie really the only way you can put a new take on the breakfast club and still make it kind of classic is, is to do it this way. So my John Bender, Judd Nelson role is going to be Joan Bender. And that's going to be played by uh, Midori Francis. She was Lily in good boys. Um, if you haven't seen good boys, I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, my Molly Ringwald character, my Claire Standish is going to be Clark Standish. That's going to be Alex Wolf. Uh, of Nickelodeon fame and uh, hereditary fame. Uh, my Brian Johnson, the Anthony Michael Hall original role, uh, that's going to be played by Maya Hawk uh, from Stranger Things. It's going to be Brie Johnson. She's also the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. Um, she's, you know, the, the nerdy uh, the nerdy one that's kind of depressed and suicidal. Find, you know, they find a gun in her, in her locker. That's why she's in detention. Uh, Andrew Clark, the Emilio Estevez role. It's Andrea Clark. That is the athlete that's going to be played by Zendaya. So we both cast Zendaya in our movies. We are in right very different roles. Very different roles. But she's going to be the star soccer player. I've already seen her kind of be the MJ rebellious uh, character. Uh, so I, I want to change it up. Put her in the more popular girl role because um, she's going to be the, the athlete. Um, Alison Reynolds played by Ali Sheedy in the original, um, the kind of misunderstood character that's going to be Cody Smith McPhee. Uh, he was in the American remake of let the right one in, uh, let me in. He's been in a few things. He has a very, very memorable face. You would definitely recognize yeah, him if you saw the- him. He was in one of the planet of the apes movies, yeah, I believe, right? The, be, uh,
0: uh, I think it's war or no, it's, uh, he's it's in the Dawn, Dawn. Dawn. Right. Yeah.
1: Dawn. Um, and then my, uh, you know, the principal or teacher, Mr. Vernon, originally played by Paul Gleason. That's going to be Linda Cardellini. Uh, Linda Cardellini's great in everything. Uh, she, uh, you know, was in the Scooby Doo movies again as Velma, but she's in she's Hawkeye's wife in the Avengers movies, and she's great in everything she does. So and and she's kind of the the role I'm looking for for that uh, can kind of be the straight character but also be funny. And my director after I really liked book smart so I'm going to go with Olivia Wilde. I feel like this would be a good follow-up uh directing uh choice for her. So that's that's my that's my cast. All
0: right. Yeah, like it's hard cuz our our movies are very similar. Like mine's more like has a take on it, I guess I should say than yours, yours just like flipped it and that's also a take, but I feel like mine's a stronger movie. I'm more interested to see where yours is just like Breakfast Club with the gender switch. I feel like my movie's more different. Where yours is like, yeah, it's kind of the same. It's just it's genders are flipped.
1: Yeah, but I I like it with updated jokes and stuff. That's the one thing of like some of the '80s comedies you can kind of update and just um make the characters more updated. So instead of just like the you know you can actually have go into it's a comedy but you can get into uh the now in my movie the Maya Hawk character the nerdy character struggling with depression and bullying um and and it, it, you have a capable director to do so you you bring in like the protests and everything like that and i just don't trust tyler perry to actually have something real to say especially if then it's going to do that and then be a Medea movie like i feel like it needs to be just a straight-up comedy with goofy characters or have like the characters you described, but all the characters you described don't fit in a Tyler Perry movie.
0: That's true. I guess.
1: Fuck. So that that's kind of my thing with it. So yeah. if yours was just like, Oh, we have these goofy kids put in a room and Medea's the principal. I'd be like, all right, well you kind of nailed a Tyler Perry movie, but, but I just don't trust him to actually have something to say. So I don't need him getting into real political issues, you know, unless he wanted to make a serious movie about it, but don't combine that with, with Medea, which basically are just made so people can go in and laugh and pray at the same yeah. time, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, so I like mine just cause I feel like I liked Olivia Wilde's tone at book smart. So I want to take more of her yeah, that- characters from that, that movie and basically put five of them into a room. Cause she did a good job of having like the kind of like the woke teenagers um, and everyone, you know, you have the party but they were all still smart and she did a good job showing everyone had, a good like duality, you know, it wasn't just one thing where everyone in the eighties kind of saw the clicks this, I I feel like she's a good capable director of kind of doing that with all these characters.
0: Yeah. You make a good point. That Olivia Wilde pushed it over the edge. So I'm going to concede.
1: Yeah, I'll take it. That was a little bit of, a. I mean, I I liked book smart a lot, but I knew you, I knew how much you liked book smart. So I was like, I got to try to win this point even though i did pitch all of these before i knew we were going to do it as like a competition yeah so i i i uh am proud of my my three two score right now so we're halfway through about an hour in Um,
0: because we did six originally because we have one that's not on the scoreboard oh yeah
1: i forgot we we pushed on (laughs) space balls i refuse to concede we'll leave that one up to like uh if anyone actually listens to this we'll put a poll up and people can choose what pitch is better Um, so you conceded, so you can pick our, our next, uh, our yeah, next I have leader.
0: my next pick. Uh, I'm thinking, cause there's one I deleted. I don't remember which one I deleted. Do you know which ones we haven't done yet?
1: So, so far we still have, uh, body, body heat. heat. We have, um, demolition man face off
0: demolition. Man and got and
1: Paris Bueller's day off.
0: So I think I'm going to choose body heat but I'm going to make you go first.
1: All right. So anyone who doesn't know body heat is a classic uh, movie from 1981. It stars uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. Um, William it's, it takes place uh, in Miami or in Florida, wherever it is. There's a big uh, uh, you know, it's just really hot down there. Everyone's all sweaty, but William Hurt uh, meets, he's a lawyer and he meets this girl. He's all, she's married they fall in love, have hot, passionate scenes. They fall in love. She convinces him, "Hey, the only way we're going to be together is if you is if we kill my husband." So um, they kill the husband, and then at the you know, there's a few twists and turns at the end. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it because it is a really good movie. So I do. Um, uh, I would recommend people see that if they haven't. Uh, so for mine, it's it's essentially the same movie. Um, But we're going to update it. The the old one is very 80s, so I want to see it in a new type of way, uh, updated to to nowadays. And really the only change I'm adding, because in the original one, they just really kind of all of a sudden come up with the plan to kill the husband. I'm going to throw in that Maddie Walker, uh, which was originally Kathleen Turner's character, uh, she fakes injuries and convinces Ned Uh, that her husband's abusive to convince him into going that extra mile and, and actually killing the husband. Um, I went, I'm just going to do my pitch. So I took a rule of, I'm making this movie complete Oscar bait. You know, you already have it based on a movie that uh, I don't think it got many Oscar nominations, but it was, it's a critically acclaimed movie from the eighties. So you have already a name behind it. Uh, The perfect, perfect director for this movie Uh, was David Fincher. He did Gone Girl. This is a similar type of story, so I want to see his tone put into this movie. Um, My writer, there's no more Oscar bait writer than Aaron Sorkin, and he is good at doing walk and talks, which I could see these characters doing it. The whole movie is about their back and forth, and he's good at writing those. Uh, My score is by Alexander Desplat, who just won for Shape of Water and has been nominated a bunch of times because um, the, the original movie has a good score. So I needed someone Oscar-y to, to be there. Um, my Ned, uh, the, my lead character replacing William Hurt, is going to be Shia LaBeouf, which I like to call him. Um, my Maddie Walker is going to be uh, Margot Robbie, who uh, already you know, has been critically acclaimed for Wolf of Wall Street and I, Tonya. Um, Edmund Walker, uh, which originally was Richard Crenna. That's the husband that's going to be played by another uh, actor who's been nominated, uh, Michael Shannon. Um, Teddy Lewis was originally Mickey Rourke. He's a young bomb maker. Uh, I want that to be another, that was one of Mickey Rourke's first movies and that kind of broke him out into Hollywood. So I want to do that same thing, give it to someone who uh, is going to break out very soon. And that is Austin Butler. He was uh, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as Tex, and he's going to be Elvis if they ever get that movie off the ground. He was cast as uh, to be Elvis in a biopic, so before he really hits the the big the big market, I, I put him as the young bomb maker. Um, so that's that's my cast and my pitch. It's going to be all Oscar bait. We're going to try to
0: get some awards. All right. So mine is for mine. I want to take the best parts of the original and not. And I don't want to change the movie because it's actually a good movie. I just want to update the story like Johnny did. I want to include cell phones, internet and online dating. Uh, And when I tell you the director, I think the director I chose is the best choice for a thriller that involves social media. In my version, Ned and Natty meet on Tinder or a fictional equivalent. Uh, Ned is known to his group of friends as a serial dater and really only uses the app to hook up. His friends are shocked to find out that he's been talking to the same girl for a few weeks. And before Ned before Nat and Natty meet, Natty reveals via pictures that she is married but is abused. She shows pictures of bruises and injuries. and But when they meet, it is hot and steamy, and Natty convinces Ned to help her kill her husband. From there, the story is basically the same as the original, with all the same twists and turns. Now, my director... I'm big fan of Johnny's choice because I chose the same person. David Fincher is directing. <laughs> glad, glad we both agree. Directing on that. my version of body heat. Now my Ned, I wanted someone who was physically attractive, but I thought, cause I, I thought William Hurt in the original had like a nerdy edge to him. So I went with Chris Pine who's in wonder woman and he's in hell or high water. I think if you put glasses on him and a weird mustache, he could give that same vibe that William Hurt gave in the original. Now, for my rule, it's casting a comedian, actor, actress in a serious role. And I'm casting Aubrey Plaza as Natty Walker, who's in Parks and Rec. And I think she could give off that same vibe. And I think she has that allure, as is that a word? I don't know. That could convince Chris Pine to help her kill her husband. And then for my Teddy Lewis, the bomb maker. I'm also casting Shia LaBeouf, but just as the bomb maker and not as Ned. So my bomb maker is Shia LaBeouf.
1: That's a very weird uh, crossover. I thought there was like no way Shia LaBeouf would be in your movie.
0: But yeah, he's but... just the bomb maker and, and yours, he's the main guy.
1: That's really funny. Um...
0: And my main problem with yours is the addition of mine is I just don't know if it's like updated enough of like dating and things have changed so much in the last like 40 years.
1: Yeah. You put a little more thought into the, like updating it with like Tinder. I just kind of was just like, ah, oh, well I'd, I'd like to update it. Cause it is the eighties. Like they just kind of run into each other mm-hmm. at a bar and, and stuff. I think adding cell phones and stuff is, is basically the idea of, you know, I was having of updating it, yeah. but all right. So here's my thing. Now you have definitely tried to pitch to me with Aubrey Plaza because I love her, Yeah, but yeah, she's that was, that already, but she's already done. Um, if you've seen angry goes West, it has some comedy in it, but I would say that's a pretty serious, like acting role as well as, uh, she was in like the child's play movie that just came out with, um,
0: or, or the comedy one, the same thing. It's all timing. You know? Similar.
1: I mean, she hasn't had like an Oscary role, so she hasn't been in like a David Fincher movie. Um, mm-hmm. But she's definitely shown she can act. Uh, but I do feel it's a little bit of a cheat on your on your uh, on your rule. But. I think she's capable of it and I would fall in love with her. I'd kill her husband if she told yeah, me to. That's
0: that's what I was thinking. I was like thinking because I was trying thinking of the rules and I was thinking okay what because originally I was trying to think of like a funny guy I could put in this movie and then for whatever reason I thought of Aubrey Plaza and I'm like no I'll put Aubrey Plaza as Natty Walker because I I think she could be actually pretty good in this role.
1: Yeah, I think she could play the role pretty well. Um but at the same time, i kind of just made the movie that I want to see. I feel like all the characters in mine are the ones like I was looking for someone maybe with more recent like nominations and stuff. Uh Shia doesn't really have any, but he easily could have been nominated for Fury. He's so good in that movie. And I think he could get some award recognition after um uh the tax collector comes out. Yeah. So I, I just felt like he was a good role and he's a similar age to Margot Robbie. I didn't want like a big disparity. In terms of age, um, for mine and Margot Robbie is another person that you know she's one of the most beautiful actresses in Hollywood. If she tells you, "Hey, kill my wife, let's be together," you oh, know, she tells her,
0: me to kill her wife, then I'm thinking
1: kill her husband. <laughs> but it, but you know the the movie too is, I mean, I think you kind of got to put in like passionate love scene, sex scenes, and that's kind of why Shia Booth has done that. Uh, he did those weird not necrophilia. What were those weird movies called? Nymphomaniac. Nymphomaniac movies. Um, but he has experience with long, like love sex scenes and movies. And so does Margot Robbie from Wolf of Wall Street. I feel like you kind of need that for this movie. Cause that was a big part of the original. It was like this sexy thriller. Um, and, and I don't see Chris Pine or Aubrey Plaza really having that aspect. I feel like they'd have the other stuff, but, you know, maybe like the love connection, but not like the hot, passionate love affair. That have this you really haven't seen is. Chris Pine then? I mean, I have, but like he's good in Wonder Woman and he's a good like Prince Charming, literally in uh, that movie where he's Prince Charming. But he doesn't really have any roles where he really does any of that, because I'm not sure he's really interested in doing it. And like the closest thing Aubrey Plaza would have would be her yeah, like that's, dressing that's as Catwoman point. and ingrid goes west but i don't know if she really is down to do that and have you know naked lovemaking on screen where these two are basically already two that would do that and while that's not like a super that's, that's important thing, thing in most new. movies that different. you just want to see aubrey plaza naked which i no,
0: honestly won't I, I knew you did argue. and that's why i put her in this role
1: <laughs> yeah but i feel like she just wouldn't wouldn't do it and and I don't know I buy her more as if you reverse the roles I'd buy her more as the Ned character than the than the Kathleen Turner character the I Maddie Walker she's
0: like a real life like a less comedic more dramatic version of her like Janet Snakehole, like character within a character from Parks and Rec <laughs> like imagine can Janet- picture that Imagine Janet Snakehole, but like a real person and not just a character that April Ludgate plays in Parks and Rec. That's I mean, what I
1: don't. I don't want to see April cheat on, on Chris Pratt.
0: Well, Chris Pratt's married to Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter, so that ship has sailed.
1: Oh God, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know he got remarried. I remember him getting divorced. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, let's see. What What else do you like about about mine?
0: You're I don't like, like my, anything about yours. Yours is terrible. Mine is amazing.
1: See, that's not how these things work. Because I like some aspects of yours.
0: You I mean, put more thought than I did like, into
1: the actual updating.
0: Yours just felt like but, a recasting of the original, where I didn't really feel like there was any kind of... Up, I mean, you put the like bruises, but I think that was in the original as well.
1: No, thought, they, don't, they don't really have any... It's just in the original, it's just like, hey, we gotta kill it. See, it's tough, because like... I have more ideas to update it, but... I'll, I don't want to like spoil the whole movie. So I feel mm. like, like there'd be more updated, like the twist that happened, uh, Ned wouldn't figure it out so easily, maybe yeah. not at all. And you would just reveal it with camera work and stuff. And you wouldn't have yeah. um, just like him saying it out loud at the end, like more, more updates, like in terms of making it like the reveal of gone girl, how it's, you know, halfway through, it's just like, Oh, this is a whole different movie than you thought that's kind of what body heat is, but they do it. They wouldn't, they would just do that stuff better. I'm more worried. I'm not really as worried about like the technology and that, that yeah. I just feel like it was a very 80s style movie because it was before twists were a big thing. So yeah. some of it's a little more telegraphed. This one would be more, you know, you don't see it coming and it's smarter that that's yeah. like my updating and yeah. it's written by Aaron Sorkin. So it would be And Fincher's a good director. Um, so that's kind of how I felt like my one thing that was definitely I felt like then first one needed was her like try to convince like, Hey, my husband is abusive. She kind of is just like, he's a loser. So he's yeah. like, all right, let's kill him and be together.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. But also I feel like that mine and yours are very much the same, except mine actually takes the technology and like uses it of like, Hey, this is how people date in 2020 and not how, and they don't, they never didn't date like that in 1981.
1: Yeah, but I do like them meeting at a bar with the heat and everything. Maybe people are going out, seeing each other. But,
0: like, he could be at a bar. It's not the same if you just, like, swipe right. But he could be at a bar and she could be at a different bar and they still meet on Tinder.
1: Here's my thing, though. Okay, so this is getting into somewhat spoiler territory. Yeah.
0: But in the movie. know the spoilers.
1: Whatever. Everyone uh, watch Body Heat. But it's on HBO Max. It's revealed basically sheep. She goes out and finds him, right? She goes, this is my guy. He had this one case for the will. That's why I need to find this dude. I feel like it's more believable if she finds him in public like she does in the original than if they just, like, meet online. Like, you'd have to go into more of, like, oh, you know, I created this one fake Tinder profile to meet this guy because I knew he was on Tinder. Like, obviously, you'd have a fake thing, so you could be, like, she searched him out. It's not just like swiping yeah, right, but she
0: could have been like just. I feel like it's more interesting right on any lawyer. You could have that too, or if she was just looking through bios and swiping right on anyone who was a lawyer, and he was like the first one that she matched with.
1: Yeah, but I I think it's better for like the with the whole point of body heat. You're kind of getting rid of the whole like. They're outside in the heat. They're sweaty. They're meeting each other like outside. Like his shirt's unbuttoned. Like that's how they look when they meet. If they just like swipe right, it's like oh, they're just they don't need to be out doing anything. And I don't need but to see of like be. him with like the Ted Danson character being like oh, look at this one hot girl. I she just matched me online. Like I'd rather have a meet how they do in the in the original one, but kind of update just the dialogue. Mm,
0: see, I disagree wholeheartedly. They could be naked well, that's our in their bed swiping. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where, how you get them to be all unbuttoned.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Don't love it.
0: So what are we, are we doing? Have here? another spaceball situation. We we
1: gotta we gotta go back to uh, go back to these at some point. Um, how about this? If you give me body heat, I'll give you the spaceballs point.
0: All right, I can I can roll with that. So I feel still?
1: like mine, just in terms of a movie, I'd rather see it's this one and the Spaceballs one. Mine was basically just to troll you, so I can yeah. concede. And we got to award that point somehow, so we'll go. Each of us get a point because we're retroactively going Spaceballs to to you and Body Heat to me.
0: All right, so Body Heat—that's
1: called compromise.
0: So Body, you get Body Heat, right? So I. So, anybody, so,
1: so you, so you would pick.
0: So well, I don't have a banner for this because I accidentally deleted it. But we're gonna go to the future of Demolition Man. Oh, and, there we go. And I will go first. All right. I gotta scroll down. All right, here we go. I don't. My uh, rule is in my casting, so I'll give my full pitch, but and it might be okay. Yeah. Demolition Man is about two men, John Spartan, who was originally played by Sylvester Stallone, and Simon Phoenix, who was originally played by Wesley Snipes. Uh, John Spartan's a cop, Simon Phoenix is a terrorist, and they both get captured. And when Simon Phoenix is captured, he's put in cryogenic freeze. But since John Spartan essentially destroyed the entire city trying to capture Simon Phoenix, he is also put in cryogenic freeze. And eventually, in the future, Simon Phoenix has been unthawed and is wreaking havoc. And they decide, and in in the future, the world has completely changed. Police, there's no crime, so the police essentially are practically like librarians. They don't do anything. They just sit around. Uh, There's a few resistance people, people that don't follow the rules, people that think there are too many rules, because essentially if you swear or anything, it's a ticket. And there's things all over the walls that if they hear you swear, you get a ticket and prints out a violation. And then it ends. Simon Phoenix is unthawed, and they have to unthaw John Spartan to capture Simon Phoenix. And so here's my version of Demolition Man. The overall movie is about the rising and censorship of society, where cancel culture has everyone walking on eggshells, and everyone in the future speaks super politically. You lost me already. Well, here's my full pitch. Spoiler alert: (laughs) Everyone carries around a device that notices a violation and gives them the ticket. Edgar Friendly, who leads the is a revolutionary, and his crew have destroyed their devices and live outside of society. Uh, We see the way culture has because neither john or simon fit in today's society along with the evolution of pc culture we see a defunded and militarized police force the police don't operate the way john spartan is used to and the cops of the future aren't equipped to handle someone like simon phoenix which is why the character of lenina huxley a police officer is so important she represents the new police she's more of a social worker than what we would consider a cop today she also grew up in the world of demolition man she has never sworn in her life and has never received a single violation lenina learns about balance during her interactions with john spartan she shouldn't be as brash or as rough as or in tumble as he is but she doesn't need to be as prim and proper as she has been either all of this is backdrop for an over-the-top action movie with weird characters the movies about balance that's what my demolition man is about and I, you know what i'll give you my my writer-director... Yeah, give me your, your
1: cast. Cast me this movie and stuff.
0: My writer-director is Quentin Tarantino, a man who hasn't done sci-fi, and his tenth and final movie could be a reboot of Demolition Man, a sci-fi movie. My John Spartan is Brad Pitt. My Simon Phoenix is Jamie Foxx. And it's time we resurrect a career, a career of someone we haven't seen in a while. Someone who's been in The Adams Family. Someone who's been in Black Snake Moan. Oh God! Really? Christina Ricci as Lenina Huxley and Edgar Friendly, the revolutionary, was originally played by uh, I don't even remember what his name was, but it's now played by Tim Roth. Oh, Edgar Friendly was played by Dennis Leary. That's who it was, and is now being played by.
1: Yeah, it's Dennis Leary. And who who are you casting? Tim Roth. Okay. Um. All right. I'll just get into mine. Then we'll, then we'll discuss. Um, so i kind of go into my cast. So my rule is I am giving a comedic actor a dramatic role. Um, and to do this, I'm making demolition man more dramatic more of a serious action movie than, um, than it's like goofy nineties over the top stuff. Um, and to do that, I will have the director be Ryan Coogler. Uh, he can do the fun action, but also it's going to be more serious characters. Uh, my John Spartan is going to be played by John David Washington, um, who you cast earlier in one of your movies too, and I laughed because we cast the same people. We know talented actors. Uh, my Simon Phoenix, the- my Simon Phoenix,
0: purpose,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my serious act, my serious comedic performance. Uh, is going to be Simon Phoenix and it's going to be Gerard Carmichael. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's like the funniest character in Neighbors. He has the Gerard Carmichael show or had it. Um, he's just one of the funniest dudes out there. And I would love to see him just like thrown into a, a serious role and uh, play a villain. Cause I feel like he he's capable of doing it. Uh, but I want to, I want to see him do it. And he's a pure comedian. Who's never done anything dramatic before unlike your choice, um, for yours, uh, Lenina Huxley, uh, that is going to be the love interest obviously. And that's going to be Letitia, Wright. Uh, she played Shuri in uh, the black Panther movies and, you know, end game, um, the Dr. Rabin, uh, cocktail or whatever. He's kind of the dictator of the future. That's going to be played by Denzel Washington. Um, and here's my pitch. So it's a more serious take on the original Demolition Man, a futuristic police action drama with the tone of like Blade Runner 49 type type style. Um, Instead of over the top goofy villain portrayed by Wesley Snipes, Rod Carmichael plays a very evil and serious role as Simon Phoenix. After both being frozen in the year 2025, John Spartan and Simon Phoenix are awakened 60 years in the future. So it's 2085 in my movie. Dr. Raymond is a dictator running the city of San Angeles, Uh, He teams up with Simon Phoenix once he's on Frozen uh, in order to take out Spartan, who is being helped by uh, Lenina Huxley, played by Letitia Wright. Um, In the third act of the film, Spartan is revealed to be Dr. Raymond's father. So John David Washington is Denzel Washington's father, but he was frozen, so he's younger in the movie. Um, And after realizing this, Dr. Raymond decides to, give himself up to the police, but is killed by Simon Phoenix. Phoenix and Spartan have an epic fight to the death at the end of the movie. So that's my that's my demolition man.
0: All right. Like, yours is fine. Mine bad? is
1: like a serious action movie. Yours is again <laughs> taking Quentin Tarantino instead of doing like a fun Quentin Tarantino movie you introduce like political stuff and the last thing I need to see Quentin Tarantino do is have politics in his movies but like so I works. feel like he'd have someone that I am not interested in seeing any of his political views because it would just make me like Tarantino less as a person if I knew what his political views are I mean he was already I don't he's not his character's already questionable for uh you know being you know best friends with uh, uh What's his Nuts from, uh, the uh, the producer who
0: oh, is in prison uh, now, Weinstein.
1: Yeah, Weinstein. So like his character's already in question. You know <laughs> he he can just make character pieces and movies that take place and don't actually introduce any like real real life things because none of his movies have any real like politics in them. But they, they have should just for
0: special... his last one just to say he. But they
1: shouldn't, it. and because everything that you said is like the wrong politics, like. Oh, it's against PC culture, and it's against defunding the police, and it's it wasn't against defunding the, like, the
0: police. It was it's not against bounds. it, but
1: I feel like that's what people would take from it.
0: Yeah, that's true. I can like understand that, that aspect.
1: I feel like your movie would be made for the right political intentions to be like, okay, like cancel culture has always been a thing, but you know, people. Just took it too seriously, and they mm-hmm. they got so scared by it that now they're walking on mm-hmm. eggshells. But people would literally take it as if we don't cancel cancel culture, this is what the world is going to yeah. look like. And uh, I just, mm-hmm. I, especially if you have Tarantino, who has never done anything like that before, and and throw that into it, I don't think he's going to be the best person to throw. Yeah, the reason I basically like, political Quentin- ideas into it.
0: The reason I basically picked Quentin Tarantino is I'm like, oh, he's like the best person at reviving a career, and that's what I want. I want Christina Ricci as Lenina Huxley. Her career needs to be revived. And then I, like, wrote my plot of, like, oh, what's, like, a good, like, modern day demolition man if I to boot and then I never really connected the two I'm like <laughs> oh this is not a demolition man and this is what I have directing it and I didn't really realize that until I was about midway through reading my pitch you're like, oh, like reading it and you're like French. wait
1: this isn't a Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah I could see I would love him to do a sci-fi movie and honestly I really like your pick of Christina Ricci because I feel like she would be perfect for a Tarantino movie.
0: Just but not the one everything else
1: doesn't really fit. you're not the one you wrote. Not that <laughs> yeah. one.
0: Yeah, that was my thing of like, I feel like my movie would be good, and I feel like Quentin, I feel like my version of Demolition Man would be good, and I feel like Quentin Tarantino would make a good version of Demolition Man. I just don't feel like both versions meld together into one good Demolition Man.
1: Yeah, 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 I agree. And I kind of just went for Cougar's a good action director, and he's got the right tone I'm looking for. Um, So I like mine. And mine's similar, like, plot wise as the original one. but it's just more serious and you can take out yeah. some of the stuff like the seashells that you don't need mm-hmm. and, and things. Yeah. But I liked my idea of having the doctor actually have a connection to him because, okay. So in the yeah. first one, there's this very weird thing where Sandra Bullock,
0: I think there's a, they never,
1: they never say that she's uh Stallone's daughter, but it's hinted at and they are, and she's the love interest and they sleep together and it's, very disturbing so i'm getting yeah, that definitely- aspect out of there and throwing in the father-son thing and it's just going to be the villain and he kind of that's what makes him turn at the end he realizes oh you're my dad and then you know oh, i haven't seen you my whole life but it's just because you've been frozen and he's the one who kind of created the technology so it's like his fault so he turns himself in and then simon phoenix kills him so you got that emotional scene too
0: yeah, I feel like there's an earlier draft that didn't get a shot where Sandra Bullock is definitely John Spartan's daughter in that movie.
1: Lenita. 100% and then they were like, well, we can't do that because she needs to be the love interest so we'll reshoot it and then they never fixed yeah. the other scenes. So it's yeah. like she's both.
0: Yeah, she's his Very daughter weird. that he bangs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I needed a, some type of father dynamic but I didn't right. want it to be a sexual thing.
0: All right, we got what, two movies left if my math is right? Ferris yeah. stay off. so wait off. did i so did i win that yeah yeah, yeah. okay it's cool, basically what i was saying was like my two versions were like they good, didn't match but, not, but they didn't combine to make one version. i feel
1: like you're the one you wrote should have been directed by someone else but and the one you cast should have been written differently like yeah. your pitch but yeah. yeah i agree all right so you lost you want to go face off or ferris bueller
0: i'm gonna go face off okay So Face Off, if you haven't seen it, is directed by John Woo. And this is the original version, not my pitch. It was directed by John Woo. And it stars John Travolta as Sean Archer and Nicolas Cage as terrorist Caster Troy. And essentially the movie opens with Sean Archer as an FBI agent. And Caster Troy tries to shoot Sean Archer. The bullet goes through him and kills Sean Archer's son. Cut to six years later. Sean Archer has Caster Troy. Uh, well, he's about to arrest him. Caster Troy is put into a coma, and Sean Ar- or Caster Troy's brother reveals that there is a bomb somewhere in the city that is set to go off in a few days. And he gets arrested and put in jail, and they have to figure out where this bomb is. And the brother is the only one that knows. So Sean Archer realizes there's only one way to figure out where this bomb is. He takes the face off of Caster Troy, played by Nicolas Cage, and puts it on his face and changes his body to go into prison as Caster Troy to talk to Caster Troy's brother and figure out where this bomb is. Uh, And then through chaos, eventually Caster Troy wakes up from his coma and tells the doctor that he needs to put Sean Archer's face on his face. And he goes through a whole surgery to become Sean Archer. He goes to Sean Archer's house and fucks Sean Archer's wife. Caster Troy's, or Sean Archer's running around with Caster Troy, and they're battling each other. It's a game of cat and mouse. Eventually, you find out Caster Troy has a son. Sean Archer kills Caster Troy and adopts his son, and now the guy that lost his son has a son, and it's a full circle complete. Yada, 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 yada. You get it. The movie's terrible. Now, here is my version of Face Off. My director is Denis Villeneuve, director of Blade Runner 2049, director of Sicario, uh, director of Prisoners. My Sean Archer is Ryan Gosling. My castor Troy, Jake Gyllenhaal. My story is a story of nature versus nurture. Are we the way we are because of how we were raised, or is it because of genetics? During an arrest gone wrong, FBI agent Sean Archer learns that terrorist Caster Troy has hidden a bomb somewhere in the city set to go off in two weeks. Unfortunately, Caster Troy is in a coma, and Troy's brother, the only one who knows the bomb's location, isn't talking. After seeing a story online about a successful face transplant for a dog bite victim, Sean Archer hatches a plan. He realizes he and Caster Troy have similar heights in build, and if he put Caster Troy's face over his face, no one could tell the difference. A doctor tests their blood types and they're identical. The operation is success. Sean spends a few days with a dialect coach to match Castor's voice because in the original version, he had surgery on his vocal cords. And we're
1: no, he had a microchip. Make... They just That's said what it was. microchip. Yeah. They, never, they never explained what that meant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we're trying to make this movie slightly more realistic. So Sean spends a few days with a dialect coach to match Caster's voice. After Sean infiltrates the prison holding Caster's brother, Caster wakes up. The drugs are no longer working. He needs a face or he could die from shock. They give him the only face available, Sean Archer's, which turns out to be a massive mistake. Caster breaks free free from the hospital and kills everyone. Caster visits Sean in prison and taunts him. Sean breaks out of prison and it becomes a game of cat and mouse. However, as Caster inhabits Sean's life, he becomes more calm and reserved. As Sean inhabits Caster's life, he becomes wilder and crazier. Uh, And now here is my rule. The rule is I am forcing a twist the main yeah. climax of the movie and my use of the force twist. The two main characters are forced to take a DNA test to determine who is who. And we learn the greatest rivals in the war versus cops and criminals were switched at birth. Which one is really Sean Archer? Which one is really Caster Troy? <laughs> and that is my pitch for face off.
1: Okay. All right. I give you down. I'll, I'll pitch you mine. Um, you don't have your cast in it, right? You didn't say your cast. Oh Did yeah. Uh, cast? My
0: Sean Archer is Ryan Gosling and my caster choice, is Jake Gyllenhaal and it's directed by Denis Villeneuve.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I missed that. I forgot. Um, here's okay. So mine, we're making face off and I don't need it to get any more realistic, but I need it to be a more of a, a, badass action movie. So there's no better way to do that than to turn it into a South Korean film. Um the what, country your, of the greatest the action movies. So I'll tell you my rule in a second, but my Sean Archer character played originally by Travolta. I didn't name, rename any of the characters. I just gave them their original names. Um, but the Sean Archer character is going to be played by Kang Ho Song. So that's the dad from Parasite. And he was in a taxi driver, which another one I highly recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it. My caster Troy. So the villain who is also the good guy uh, is Sik Choi uh, from old boy. And I saw the devil. Um, he's, uh, he played both the hero and old boy and the evil villain. And I saw the devil. So he can do both roles very well for that one. Uh, my Eve Archer, the wife of Sean Archer, originally Joan Allen is played by young I Lee. Uh, she was in lady vengeance of uh, the, uh, vengeance, uh, trilogy, Pollux, Troy, the brother who, uh, Sean Archer has to, you know, find in prison. That's going to be, uh, Cha Tai-sik, he was the man from nowhere in another great Korean movie. And my director is Chan-wook Park, who did Old Boy, as well as The Handmaiden and The Vengeance Trilogy as a whole. Um, Great director, done action movies before. I want to see what he can do with Face Off. So here's my rule. I'm throwing the cameos in there from the original actors, because that's the only way you can do it with this one. So the caster Troy in my movie – here's my change. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in face off that the police have the idea to switch faces. So in my movie, in my version, the caster Troy realizes, Hey, this dude's always going to be coming after me. The only way I can stop him is if I take his face off and we switch faces, he goes undercover at the police department to, you know, destroy everything in the police uh, area. And then puts Sean Archer in prison as himself. So, it's the bad guy's idea to switch faces. So he captures Sean Archer and then when Castor Troy goes in to tell him about the face swapping, the scientist doing it all is none other than Nicholas Cage and Nicholas Cage still gets to say the famous line of you want me to take his face off?
0: So Nicholas Cage playing, says that. Is he playing He's an American, guy. Troy? Oh, But he's not playing Castor so Troy. So he's
1: not Caster Troy. rule. Is- No, you have to bring back the cast as a cameo.
0: Oh, I thought it was like a cameo as an original self. That's what I had written down anyways.
1: Okay, I thought it was just like... okay, it's fine. I like the way you did it, too. Um, So anyway, so... He's the scientist uh, who switches their faces. So then Sean Archer uh, as Caster Troy goes to prison, and it's the weird magnetic prison, and the um, police... or the. Warden of that jail is played by none other than John Travolta. So you have both the original face-off people in it. um, And then instead of the whole weird DNA testing and trying to get all that down, it's just Sean Archer needs to escape prison and then prove to people that he is himself because no one knows it except for the bad guys, the police, there's no record of it. So I felt like that worked better for the plot than have it be the bad guys switching their faces. Cause it was always very stupid that it was the other way around. Felt like there were other ways you could have done it. So I wanted to just switch that, but everything else pretty much the same. You have all the fun action scenes and you make it, you give it a better director and more capable actors.
0: Is there a better director than Denis Villeneuve?
1: Uh, Yeah. But, he's also a good director, but I don't want to, again, it's another director that like, I do not have any interest in seeing his version of face off. Give him I other do. movies to do.
0: Yeah. Other movies that are going to bomb at the box office, like Blade Runner 2049 and Dune, that's going to eat a pile of shit. Even the, the movie could be like the greatest movie. Except of all time. Dune is
1: going to be great. And I don't care about him making money. Like, I don't need him to just be like, see, this is the problem with Hollywood. They would be like, Hey, you made Dune that didn't make money. You made Blade Runner 2049, even though both of these are like amazing films, neither of them made money. So now we're just going to make you do face off. Like, I feel like that's the yeah, only what, way ever. I want to
0: see him do face off with, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Gosling.
1: But I feel like the only way to improve the original crazy face off is to, make it like a more of an action movie and yours, while it would make it more of a serious movie, I don't need a serious movie where they just cut the edge of someone's face and just take it off. Like, like there's no other muscle connecting your face. So that that's my thing. Oh, and the other thing here, your weird DNA test thing might explain it, but seems very boring. The blood types thing in the original movie, they did not have the same blood type. So they switched bodies and it really doesn't make any sense that they switched faces because they don't have the same blood type. But the reason they find out because Joan Allen's character is a doctor, they find out the blood or that Sean Archer is Nick Cage or it's so confusing talking about this movie. But the reason they discover basically that their faces were switched is because they have different blood types and Joan Allen tests it. So in your movie, you give them the same blood type, which makes sense for the surgery. But less but sense because that's the thing, my twist is
0: they're stuck in each other's bodies and they're stuck because everyone will forever believe that Sean Archer is Caster Troy and Caster Troy is Sean Archer and only them two will ever know.
1: But who does the DNA test?
0: The, the hospital. I don't know. DNA test so people.
1: So what's, the, I don't get the twist.
0: So basically we find out there's a, via flashback, they were accidentally switched at birth. And okay, Sean they were Archer's switched
1: at birth, but then there's still different people and then they switch faces.
0: Yeah.
1: right when they're older yeah
0: not they like when they're babies yeah, they switch faces when they're older so the DNA test that they're comparing it to was from like when they were born
1: yeah well, like what does that mean
0: what do you mean like, like if we, we were
1: if we if we were switched at birth yeah. and I was Joe and you were Johnny we just live our same life so it wouldn't really matter at the end like if, if it was just a twist <laughs> of oh they were switched at birth it's not much of a twist even if we switched faces, It would still just be like the same as if they weren't switched at birth. I think it would be here. I'll fix your twist. (laughs) At the end of the movie, Caster Troy, you know, they switch back faces or whatever they think they do. I don't even know. They put Caster Troy away or he dies. And then Sean Archer goes back to his wife. But then it's revealed that, you know, like cut back to what happens and he is actually still Caster Troy. Like, he he's the villain, and he survived. I think that's a better twist.
0: Yeah, but, but my twist is better, because my twist is... Your twist doesn't mean any. It's not a real <laughs> twist. There's nothing yeah, just, twisty because about Because it, it means that they're stuck in their bodies, because no one believes that they're, they're the person that they are, because they're comparing it to DNA from right when they were born, but they were switched at birth.
1: But what does that mean for their personalities or characters?
0: That they're stuck in the the wrong body. Sean because Archer's, they were
1: switched at birth
0: or they're stuck in the wrong face yeah because they So the DNA in,
1: test reveals
0: what? the DNA test reveals that they're both crazy people and their faces were never switched <laughs> even though we as an audience know that faces oh. were switched.
1: <laughs> Wait, so that so your twist is they don't actually take their faces off? So you're right. not going to show the faces getting taken off?
0: No, they their faces don't get take their faces don't get put back.
1: Okay, I get that. I don't know. Your twist is all I don't get it. Maybe someone can explain this better than me, but I don't understand how that's a twist. They just didn't switch back faces.
0: Yeah, because their DNA test proved... I don't know. (laughs) What does the
1: DNA test have to do with anything?
0: I don't know. I tried to make a twist, and I couldn't come up with a twist (laughs) for any of these movies, and this is the only one I had left I couldn't come up with anything for.
1: See, my twist was so much better than your twist, I should get my (laughs) Spaceballs point back. No. Okay, here... Here's a new twist. Okay, at the beginning of the movie, Sean Archer's kid is killed, right? Yeah. And then Nicolas Cage uh, has a kid, and then at the end of the movie, uh, John Travolta's character just basically takes Nicolas Cage's son, and it's just like, this is our kid now. He's replaced our dead son. That's kind of how the end of Face Off works. My movie would end with that same thing happening, but then it cuts to the dad, Sean Archer, because he's a crazy dude, digging up his kid's grave, (laughs) and then you realize that they're going to switch the faces of the kid. (laughs) So he has his old son back. (laughs) All right, you can get... All right. What's our scores right now, by the way? Six to
0: three if you win this one.
1: Okay, all right. I think I should win this one, because this is the movie that I'd want to see the most out of any of these. I want to see like a South Korean action movie that has some weird sci-fi in it because I spoiler alert, I'm going to win Ferris Bueller's day off too. So we might as well just give me all the points.
0: All right. All right. You want to go first or second? You're so confident in Ferris Bueller. You can go first. You can describe Ferris Bueller for the audience at home. I should probably talk into the mic. You should describe Ferris Bueller for the audience at home.
1: So Ferris Bueller's day off for those who've never seen it. Um, if there is anyone who hasn't, uh, Ferris Bueller is this young cocky kid. He he basically plays hooky from school and with his best friend Cameron and his girlfriend Sloan, they skip school and they spend the day out in Chicago going to a ballpark, going to – or a Cubs game, I think, and then going and singing in a parade and stealing the dad's car, which is explained in the movie that the dad loves his car more than he loves his own son. So they steal the car and then they decide, hey, we'll put it in reverse – And it'll take all the miles off of it, which that doesn't work. Um, And then the car flies through the garage and just is destroyed. And that's kind of like the main, one of the main things in the movie, but it's basically just three kids skipping school. And you have not only is Ferris Bueller's sister trying to catch him at the act. You have Ed Rooney, who is the one of the teachers who doesn't like Ferris. He is, also trying to catch ferris at it right i don't even know because i thought it was the principal in breakfast club but i don't think it's a real principal it's just a teacher so either way so he's either the principal or a teacher he's trying to catch ferris at it might, might be the principal but that's kind of the movie it's he doesn't want to be seen and they're they're skipping school um that's really it so in my version of it i figured you know what's uh you know what's ripe for a horror remake? Ferris Bueller's day off. Because I'm gonna give it a realistic uh ending. So Ferris, he's a fun-loving high schooler, convinces his buddy Cameron to play hooky with him and his girlfriend. Ferris convinces Cameron to let them take out his dad's car, even though his father loves that car more than anything. Uh they have a fun day out in the town despite Ed Rooney trying to catch Ferris. They decide to put the car in reverse to put the miles back to normal on Mr. Fry's car. This does not work, and the car ends up getting smashed through the back of the garage, falls off a hill, and is destroyed. Cameron, Ferris, and Sloan turn around to see Morris Fry, the father of Cameron, staring at them in shock. Ferris walks up to him, trying to de-escalate the situation. Mr. Fry takes out a knife and stabs Ferris to death. Sloan and Cameron run to the house and must fight for their survival against Cameron's, murder, Cameron's father's murderous rampage. Ed Rooney tracks him down, but he sees Ferris's dead body, so he tries to help Cameron and Sloan escape. So that's my movie. It's them trapped in a house. You have the murderous father. You have Ed Rooney have the twist of actually trying to help him out because he realizes that they're in danger. Um, I'll give you my, my cast, too. My Ferris Bueller, I need someone young and looks like he's in high school and can also be charismatic. So that's going to be Tom Holland. Um, my Cameron Fry uh, is going to be Skyler uh, Gacindo or Gassondo. I'm going to say Gassindo. He's the rich kid in Book Smart for anyone uh, who's seen Book Smart. He's also in like The Amazing Spider Man, a couple movies. Um, Sloan Peterson is going to be played by Molly Gordon, who's also in Book Smart and Good Boys. Um, she's the other friend in, in good boys. Um, Ed Rooney is going to be played by Alan Tudyk. I feel like he, he's a good, uh, uh, good look for that. Morris Fry. I want someone who I could just see being kind of an intimidating presence and hasn't had much to do. So I've cast Sean William Scott mainly because he's just the age of the person I'm looking for. And I like him as a, as an actor. Uh, my director is Adam Wingard, who did The Guest and You're Next, both like good coming at you, trying to kill you movies, as well as VHS. And he's actually remaking an American version of I Saw the Devil, which I saw when I was looking at IMDb, which is insane to me. But that's my director. So you have Ferris Bueller, you have about the first half of the movie is them fun, love and school. And the second half is a fight to survive horror movie.
0: All right, for my version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, for those who are keeping track, who aren't keeping track at home, we're headed to the Oscars. I made a super Oscar Beatty <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'll just start with my director and cast. My director, Damien Chazelle, he directed La La Land, directed Whiplash, directed First Man. My Ferris Bueller is Timothy Chalamet, who he was the son in Interstellar, and he played the love interest guy that everyone loves in Little, the new Little Women. My Cameron Fry is Lucas Hedges. He was in mid-90s. Uh, he was in uh, that, what was that Shia LaBeouf movie that you didn't like? That just came what? out? What? Oh, crap. He was, Lucas Hedges. He was the Shia LaBeouf movie. The...
1: Well, he was in that bad Casey Affleck movie that got all those nominations. He was yeah. good at oh, that, right. but that the- movie sucked.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. He just
1: Google Lucas. Manchester by the Sea,
0: Manchester and by the Three
1: billboards. Sea. He was in and three. Oh, billboards, he's in all yeah. the movies. I do not like. Yeah. Oh, but
0: Honey, it's, boy, it's, honey, boy. honey boy, Honey Boy. I didn't dislike
1: Honey Boy. I just uh,
0: yeah
1: expected yeah. more.
0: So my Sloan Peterson is Yara Shahidi, who's because there aren't a whole lot of. Because I wanted more diversity in my cast. It's an Oscar cast, but there's not a lot of young black women that have been nominated for Oscars. She's in mixed-ish, and I think she was in blackish. She's playing Ferris's Bueller's Sloan or Ferris Bueller's girlfriend Sloan. And Ferris's sister, Jeannie, is going to be played by Sasha Ronan, who's in who's basically going to be nominated for an Oscar every year until she dies. And my Grace, who's Ed Rooney's secretary, who's super peppy and everything, is going to be played by Meryl Streep. And my Ed Rooney is going to be played by none other than J.K. Simmons.
1: Okay, I like that.
0: And this is my cast. The teen comedy is now retold as a serious drama about a teen who fakes sick from school to help his friend learn the self-confidence to stand up to his abusive father as they travel around Chicago. We also have Sloan dealing with her racial identity, being a black girl who was raised by a w- rich white couple. Jeannie, Ferris's sister, catches her brother skipping school, but since she's an extreme drug addict, no one believes her. Ed Rooney, an overbearing teacher who only wants the best for Ferris, spends the day trying to get Ferris back to school so he doesn't mess with his Harvard scholarship. In the third act of the movie, Jeannie decides to give up drugs after meeting an older drug addict while she is in the police station with her mother. After meeting with a group of activists during their adventures, Sloan decides to give the money she was going to spend on spring break to the activist cause. Cameron intentionally trashes his father's Ferrari when they can't wind the miles down after taking it for a joyride. And then the next day at school, Ferris apologizes to Ed Rooney for not being more active in school. And Mr. Rooney apologizes to Ferris for being too hard on him and says kids should be allowed to have fun. And that is my pitch for Oscar Beatty, Ferris Bueller, stay off. It's basically Crash, but Ferris Bueller, stay off. And Crash wasn't good, but it won. That Oscar sounds week. awful. That that's sounds a,
1: so awful.
0: And that's exactly what Oscar Beatty movies are fucking terrible, terrible, terrible garbage.
1: No, you just all you have to do to be Oscar Beatty is either cast Meryl Streep or just Which have a I bunch did. of nominations. Yeah, exactly. So you did do that. Um I mean it is Oscar Beatty. I can't argue against I just door. tried to
0: put every Oscar Beatty trope I can find in Slant. I almost changed it to LA just to have that much more Oscar Beatty-ness So
1: is there any comedy in it or is it No, like
0: it's hundred percent a drama now.
1: Okay. I don't know. Sounds weird. I mean, you you nailed the rule, but I wouldn't see your movie, so it's tough. What do you think of mine, my horror movie?
0: Your horror movie isn't a Ferris Bueller's Stay Off reboot. It's a like sequel.
1: Well, we had to make it a horror movie. I mean, it's a reboot, but it's, realistic, it's a realistic reboot of what the dad would do if he actually came home and saw the car smashed and yeah, he just like, decides to murder all of them.
0: Yeah, yours is like a sequel and not a... Like a reboot, yours doesn't like have any of the same plot as the original. It's just like well, you basically after
1: you can tell the same plot of the original one in like a half hour, thirty, like an hour basically, and just be like, oh yeah, they go out and have fun. So it's that, but then instead of like you have a different ending, and it just turns into a horror movie. So that's why I I made it uh, an actual. Horror movie. I feel like to make something a horror movie and to do a lot of our other roles that we did, we definitely have to change plots of things. So I, I felt yeah. like the only way I could do that is to be like, hey, what happens if the abusive dad comes home and sees the car smashed and then decides to just murder the shit out of them? <laughs>
0: Yeah, see, but that's the thing is your movie might be better, but your movie is not Ferris Bueller's Day Off horror version. Your movie is what if there was a sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off and that was a horror version? where Mine is let's no, it's Ferris literally it yours first.
1: is not Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
0: It is because it's, made... it's
1: a it's basically Crash for some reason. <laughs> Which, if you could pick two movies that like were the most different, like. Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Crash. They have <laughs> nothing in common at all. Except they're both their cars that crash a little bit in it. That's really it.
0: I found their commonalities.
1: I don't know. When I made an Oscar Baby movie, I made a movie that I wanted to see, and you made a movie that no one wants to see.
0: Mm-hmm. Ferris wants to see my movie.
1: No, who Ferris Bueller? <laughs> yeah. He's not even a real person. Well, he doesn't want to see it. But I won anyway, so I don't even care. You all can right. have this point if you want it, all
0: but right. I like mine.
1: I like mine. Mine is more realistic for a Ferris Bueller movie.
0: The record stands I won six, or you won six to
1: four. Oh, yeah, I did. All right. I well, give full credit to my amazing pitch for a Christmas Carol all right, with so, DMX.
0: Uh, Johnny officially wins our tester episode six to four, so I'll say if you have any comments or anything you want to say any advice tweet at us text us dm us or comment below but other than that johnny officially wins so hell yeah anything else you got to say johnny before we sign off
1: um just that anyone who actually listens to this full thing thank you for for listening i'm sure we'll basically just kind of send this out as a tester for anyone who wants to listen and friends and family and and whatever else so if you're listening thank you and uh this was, a, this was fun to do. Hopefully we do more with this, and uh, I look forward to winning every week.
0: Yeah, you're not going to win next week, because I'm going to actually like do better in my pitches. My, all my pitches <laughs> I wrote last night, because Johnny's like, yeah, I did more than just the cast. I have pitches and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I should probably write pitches. Then.
1: <laughs> well, because like making one a horror movie, I was like, why didn't it change the entire plot to make these <laughs> things horror <laughs> movies? So yeah. then I was just like, well, now I need to write pitches. So, yeah, some of them require more work than others. I thought for sure, too, because, like, I had pitches written out, and then I was like, I don't think I did enough with these. And then I texted you, and I was like, oh, yeah, I got, like, pitches. And you're like, I didn't do pitches. (laughs) I'm like, oh, all right, maybe I did more than Joe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll definitely have pitches next time. But, yeah, uh, thanks for watching, everyone. I'll see you next time.